American citizen. And I'm going to start blowing out my candles as soon as we finish talking about this week in Rotten Wrestling. And to join me, Hawaiian Brian, the podcasting lion, the king of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network, Mr. Co-host to you. He's the man who doesn't have to go to Hawaii to hang 10. He can just stand here and smile. The great Brian Last, everybody. Aloha, Jim. A pleasure to be here once again on the big birthday weekend. Happy birthday. How does it feel to be 70? Hey, goddamn, I'll have you, don't advance me. Don't put me on fast forward. The 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 tape is going by quickly enough as it is. But no, I'll tell you how it feels. It don't feel that way yet because we are in a, a time warp. I am speaking to you at the age of 60, but by the time the people, the cult of Cornette, hear this program, I will be 61. It, I'll be a whole year older. It's going to take you forever to get this thing out. Are you aware of other famous people born on September 17th? Uh, Bill Irwin was born on September 17th. Who else is born on September Wild 17th? Bill Irwin or the comedic Wild actor? Bill Irwin. Bill Irwin, okay. I did. Is there an actor named Bill Irwin? I guess you call him an actor. He was the guy, how do you describe him? He was in the Don't Worry, Be Happy video. I don't think it was that like Bobby McFerrin. Somebody is an actor. It was Bobby McFerrin, Robin Williams, and this guy who was also in My Blue Heaven with Steve Martin and Rick Moranis. He was like the guy who could lift his head. I don't know how to describe it. He would lift his head Apparently up. Apparently not. You don't know how to describe this human being because you've just rattled off a bunch of incomprehensible nonsense. Is this the way you're going to treat me on me? You know, I'm getting older. If I didn't have possession of all of my faculties, I'd think I was getting senile, not being able to understand you. But fortunately, I am in possession of those faculties. You know who isn't? Realize you're just dribbling now. Who isn't? John Ritter, who was born on September 17th. Oh, come on now. Are you going to... Hank Williams. Malign a, a great American like John Ritter with a with a, a nasty, a, no. a mean-spirited remark. I admit that was wrong, and I like John Ritter, but Hank Williams. Well, fuck him. He got to buddy up next to Joyce DeWitt and Suzanne Summers all that time for absolutely no good reason, so fuck him. He's had his joy and happiness. Hank Williams, which one, the junior or the senior? The senior. The good one. The good one. Okay. As long as it's it's not just somebody trading off the talent and pioneering genius of, of his predecessor father. Where do you stand on Joyce DeWitt? Good looking on her own or merely another person there considering you had Suzanne Summers? <laughs> just another person there. Well, Joyce Joyce DeWitt was attractive in her own in her own way and in her own right. And she could stand alone. But I guess it would be nicer if she was laying horizontally next to Suzanne Summers instead of standing alone on her own. Or is that vertically? I'm not exactly sure, but another September 17th birthday, Elvira, Mistress of the Dark. There you go. I've always been a big fan of hers, both of them. When did you first see her? Both we never, <laughs> we never, <laughs> I've never seen her wrestle, but I have seen her box. 
Um, Awful. We never got. <laughs> Awful. We never got Elvira here in in Louisville. At least not that I was aware of. When I and obviously, you know, we had our local horror movie host, but we never got Elvira. Now we have Spinguli. He doesn't look as good in low cut stuff, but but no, I I was uh, aware of her in what the eighties when all the merchandising was that the decade that all her merchandising yeah. went on, or possibly the seventies. I think no, it was the early eighties. She started in Los Angeles locally, and then it just took off from there. And eventually, they had a movie. And really smart woman. If you ever heard her interviewed, like she understood her character and what to do and how to. Like she understood exactly what her character was supposed to be. Very very smart woman. But Jim. September 17th, you and Roddy McDowell share a birthday. Well, there you go. Roddy McDowell. Cornelius. Cornelius. And well, no wonder Stan Lane (laughs) kept calling me Cornelius J. Corny all those years. But anyway, so it's my birth. So we need to get this over with so I can go blow out my candles and my cake. And Lord knows that's going to take me a while. I have to sit down every five minutes or so. Hey, you're Before on this I list. Continue. This list I'm looking at, you're on the list. You're number 30, and right after you is Ken Kesey. How about that? Wait a minute. Hold on. How do they've, they've numerically rated or quantified somehow the people born on September 17th? By what criteria? I'm not sure. The website is thefamouspeople.com, and it is celebrities born on my birthday, and the date put in was September 17th. And you're after several, I don't know who some of these people are, but you're before Ken Kesey, so that's something. He's a big deal. He hadn't been a big deal in 50 years. Anyone who takes acid is directly influenced by Ken Kesey. Acid hadn't been a big deal in 50 years. Eh, That's right. Mushrooms are really where the party is. But let's see. Any other names? Good God. Nevertheless, Mr. Leary. Yeah. uh, Again, how how do I just get to number 30 on this fucking list? And there's people of questionable lineage. Above me. Number 38 is Joseph D. Pistone, better known as Donnie Brasco. So you got some good company there. I'm eight ahead of Donnie Brasco. You're eight ahead. Paul Benedict, number 44. Of, 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 oh, God damn, what's his name? On the uh, Jefferson. the Jefferson. English fellow. Um, God damn, I've lost his name. It's a very, very British name, isn't it? He was in Willy Wonka, wasn't he? He was there, too. He was there, that's right. He was there. He was there when the whole thing happened. But what was his name on the Jeffersons? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. Not Bentley. At 61, Doug E. Fresh. Well, you'd think he'd start to turn a little bit by now. Yeah, now he should be complaining, but there it is. Some of the famous people born on your birthday, Jim. Do you feel in good company? Who was right above me? Uh, Hold on, let me scroll all the way back up to... All the way up to number 30. 30. Uh, Shirley Ballas. What? Not Shirley Bassey? Not Shirley Booth? No, the dancer Shirley Ballas, born in 1960 in Wallasey, Cheshire, England, UK. Oh, is this is this a UK-centric lip? Possibly that might. Well, it's a dot .com. It's not a dot .uk or anything. Well, who's the author of this fucking piece? There's no author assigned to this. They're too piece. ashamed to put their name on it. They don't. They don't stand by their research. How was this? Well, uh, criteria. What was the criteria to be ranked as a famous person born on this day? That somehow I only got to thirty. Well, it says it right here at the very top. This ranking is based on an algorithm that combines various factors, including the votes of our users and oh. search trends on the internet. Well, that means absolutely dick all a shit. 
because it depends then on who the if somebody's got a bone to pick with me, the voters, they might have a campaign for this Shirley Bannister or Balustrade or whatever and might ignore me because they they're biased. They got a bone to pick. An algorithm. What if somebody's searching somebody's name during the course of the compilation of evidence for this survey because they've committed some crime like farting on a senior citizen in public or you know, crossing against the goddamn uh, traffic or something. At number eight, Anne Bancroft. <laughs> Anne Bancroft. How many people have been searching for Anne Bancroft in the last 20 years? I bet you our weekly audience dwarfs the weekly audience that Anne Bancroft currently possesses. All right. I'm a little insulted. Hey, Keith Flint from The Prodigy. Oh, God damn it, don't make it any worse. Um, I do want to say thank you. The, the gifts have been rolling in this past week. Some people wanted to jump in early, and I just wanted to make a, a few brief thank yous. Jacked up Jeremy Bagley sent me some Sprite Zero. I want to thank him for that. Uh, our old friend Dan Rhino over in St. Louis sent Emo's Pizza Sauce, so you know what I'm going to be having in the next day or two. Charlie. From Starkville, Mississippi, sent me a compendium of George Carlin DVDs. I've had the George Carlin All My Stuff set, but I've never, it's a 10 DVD set of not only all the HBO specials, but appearances on television from the 60s through the 2000s or whatever the fuck, and some, you know, outtakes, unseen things. Very, very cool. And uh, and our uh, my friend Tony Petronic also sent me a, a letter. He's been having some health issues and is doing dialysis. And we hope he feels better. But he actually sent me a custom-made, it's one of the custom uh, trading cards of me and Dennis Condry. And we had both signed it in various times in the past. And he thought I might want to have that. And I actually put that on my shelf because... That's a sentimental type of piece. But anyway, they're already flooding in the birthday gifts. Do you have one of those little yellow gin cornet cards on oh, your shelf? Oh, yeah. I, well, I've got three or four of those now. Because <laughs> 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 several people have, have sent them to me, and I had one to begin with. And it's that was that bootleg of, of set that came out in like 85, and they clipped all the pictures out from magazines that George Napolitano was the editor of at the time. And my, for the people who haven't seen it, it's been tweeted about. But that was my very first ever wrestling trading card. And who they were made in China, right? They've got just a plain cardboard. Oh, India, I think. I think it was India. Something like that. And it's a picture of me choking Buzz Sawyer over the rope of the ring with my tennis racket around his head and Bobby Eaton is leaning on him. And you can see Bobby and you can see Buzz and you can see my right arm and the handle of my tennis racket. And it It's labeled Jin, J-I-N, Cornet, Jin Cornet. Apparently, whoever in India that was cutting these pictures out of the magazine because the caption of that picture in the magazine was Jim Cornet chokes Buzz Sawyer while Bobby did whatever the fuck. And so they thought that Bobby was Jim, Jim Cornette. 
I'd rather have been vodka cornet at that point instead of gin if you're going to do that. But uh, that's a famous card. And speaking of famous things, we left off on the last pro- – what is the last program? We do? Your drive-thru. The drive-thru, yes. The B show. No, I wouldn't call it that. It's an alternate. It's an alternate program. It certainly is. This is the – It's an alternate the- to this. It's an alternative, Diddy. But um, we left the people off with a cliffhanger. The my road was being paved with no notice to the homeowners. Suddenly, just dozens of men and dozens of trucks and heavy equipment appeared and began grinding and beating and removing the road. At the same day that I was going to have the my shipping supplies, first load of shipping supplies delivered. For the big action figure Armageddon on sale this weekend. And the, we didn't have a resolution of that because it was still up in the air. And here's what happened with my shipping supplies. Now, you know, Brian, it's a fine company. I'll plug them here because they do normally do fine work. It's just this one asshole I talked to the other day. But there's a company called Uline. And you can get any boxes of any size and any quantity and shipping supplies and the labels and the stay flats and the cardboard and the whole nine. You you can run your whole mail order business with these people. So I call up and I order the the thousand boxes I'm going to start with on the action figure business and four or five bags of packing peanuts. Of course, remember, we've established those are recyclable. And I said, okay, I'm going to be all set. Well, the guy says, hey, because you got all this stuff, we can ship it easier by such and such express. And I said, no, I want UPS. I got residential area, small country road, winding uphill driveway, entrance gate, need the small box truck, UPS truck. They get in and out just fine. Oh, but we can send it by such and such express, and they have small trucks too. I can note here that you're in a residence. And you do have a goddamn uh, gate and yeah, all this stuff. It's noted right here. I've heard that before. I argued with him, right? I've heard that before. I cannot have a big truck at this location. I will pay the extra on the shipping as I usually do. I appreciate you trying to save me some money, but I don't. Oh, no, we can take care of this. All right, you're in this business. You deal with these people all day, every day. So have at it. Save me some money on the shipping. Brian, Tuesday afternoon as I'm watching the asphalt grinders and the dump trucks and the steamrollers and all the other shit drift slowly up the hill, I get a phone call. It's from the express place. It's the driver. He says, yeah, I just want to make sure I've got access at your location. I'm in a tractor trailer truck. I said, and it's simple. Don't fucking come. What? I said, don't fucking come. Besides the fact they're paving my road, you can't get in and out of here anyway. They were supposed to send a small truck, a box truck, a UPS-like truck. Oh, well, we can do that. I appreciate you telling me that I can't come there today. We can put it on another truck. I said, all right, I'll be here all day tomorrow. Bring it on. 
Well, as soon as you and I, by the way, that was the way we were, the, the day we were recording, as soon as you and I finished, I get a phone call and an email. They're wanting to schedule the delivery. Now they can't bring it back till Thursday. So I talked to this woman. I said, all right, Thursday's fine. I reiterate, I'm on a residential street, small country road, winding uphill driveway, entrance gate, can't have a big truck. Those UPS trucks, little box trucks, they back right in and out, boom, done. We'll take care of it. Thursday, the delivery scheduled for noon to 4 p.m. I sit around here. I'm trying to do my other things, my other chores, my other tasks, but I'm keeping one eye open. Gripping my pillow tight, waiting for the delivery. And, of course, 4 o'clock comes. I ain't heard dick from anybody. I go around to talk to the contractors who are busily working on the custom tray ceiling in the outside room there. Not the outside, it's an inside room, but I, I go around outside to get in there. And I see out the window a giant truck cab right outside the garage, and I look, and Brian, this guy has driven, he said it was 30 feet, it was a 30-foot truck, I think it was longer than that, either that or the truck part was 30 feet plus the cab, he's pulled this, I don't know how he got this giant truck to my driveway in either direction with the tight turns and the small road and the blah, 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 He's pulled this goddamn thing up my driveway, and he's going to try to unload a thousand empty boxes and five bags of goddamn packing peanuts out the back of the, which is halfway down the hill that goes in my garage, which the cab of the truck's sitting in front of. And I said, this is the smaller truck they sent? And then I explained to him that they had promised they were going to, he said, well, yeah, they say, bear in mind, this is empty cardboard and packing peanuts. He puts the thing on the lift gate. It's on a pallet. The pallet weighs more than the merchandise that I had delivered. And he puts the lift gate down and he jacks the thing up and he wheels it into the front yard because he's going to have to back up. So we're going to carry it in from the front yard. And thankfully, my contractors were here so that I could bring two of them down and one of them could stop traffic up the top of the hill and the other one could stop traffic down the other way and I could motion for the guy to be able to back out without running over my fucking stone columns on the gate and we got him out of here with nobody being killed. But they sent a goddamn 30-foot fucking giant moving truck to deliver me Literally fucking eight feet square of empty flat cardboard boxes and five packages of styrofoam peanuts. And people think it's just a breeze running Cornette's collectibles. They think it's just a walk in the park. We're just farting through silk over here. They don't realize you're going uphill, so things are bad. I'm going uphill, yeah. That, that's where I came up with that uh, that analogy. Because trying to get shit from the bottom of the road down up my driveway when they can't bring it up, that's a fucking uphill climb. So that's, you always want to be, your health, you want your health going downhill. Because that's smooth sailing. I mean, 
you get going so fast you can't even get stopped by the time you get finished. But uphill, it's a schlog. But it's all going to be worth it, Brian, this weekend because I got my boxes, I got my peanuts, I got the action figures. The only thing I need is the cult of Cornet to do their part, and that is going to be happening as we speak. I assume this show is not going to be turned around before Saturday at noon. No, this schlog? No, this no, no. this schlog? No, 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 okay. no, no, no. no. Ladies and gentlemen, by the time you hear this program, go to jimcornet.com without delay because both of the brand new, never before seen, never before sold action figures from Figures Toy Company will be on sale and maybe by previous history in danger of selling out before you even get there. So rush, 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 but you will have an opportunity to purchase for my birthday, for my birthday, a wonderful gift for me, and you'll get a free gift for yourself. Just go to jimcornett.com, buy one or both of the new action figures for me for my birthday, and I will send you free autographed action figures, signed any way you want them. That's an amazing offer that's never before been, been done, and only because I care about the people and their happiness, am I able to do this? The 1993 Monday Night Raw debut suit variant in pink and red, where I debuted on Monday Night Raw and was embraced by Bobby the Brain Heenan and became an eternal albatross around Vince McMahon's neck. Now you can commemorate that occasion. Comes complete with microphone, glasses, and tennis racket. Or, because the holidays are coming up, You got Christmas, you got Hanukkah, you got Kwanzaa, you got Festivus. Anything where people can wear loud colors and furry hats and be celebratory. Santa Corny is here just in time for Christmas. The red and green holiday suit that I made so famous revamped a brand new, all never before seen design with glasses, uh, microphone, tennis racket, and jaunty santa hat on santa corny and these can be signed any way you want there's going to be less than 1500 of each once these are gone they're gone they're not going to be remade anything about these designs they are collector's items and by cracky if i were you folks i would i'd buy one extra just in case you need to buy me something next year for my birthday and you can't think of anything But that's at jimcornett.com. By the time you hear this right now. And Brian, I haven't haven't heard exactly how many I can put you down for yet of each. Well, I don't want to get in the way of the rush of the fans, so I'm going to let them do their thing, and then I'll get the scraps at the end. Well, I guess that's that is a, a good thing for you to do. You because you have an in, you know me personally, so you get five dollars off. But you don't want to abuse that privilege. Didn't you just tell me that postage went up $5 for your friends the other day? Well, just for my friends. But since you're actually the only person probably in that category right now, it's just basically for you. Oh, well, thank you. I think. I try to please. And by the way, that's not a woodpecker or a or a sapsucker. That's more drilling on the, uh, the ceiling down there. It's going to have the faux beams. The faux beams are in. You know those beams that are faux me because I'm paying for them? The faux beams are in, and now some of the uh, the tongue and groove is going in on that ceiling down there. 
Anyway, I've got some emails. I caught up with some emails, some things that the Cult of Cornet have written in, and I wanted to recognize some people. Real quick, I'm not going to read everything verbatim, but I wanted to recognize some people. And one of these, this is from back in July, and you can tell I'm behind on a lot of this stuff. But Todd in Atlanta, uh, I just wanted to recognize him because he wrote that his mother passed away, Mother Evelyn passed away in July. and. That was obviously a difficult time, but he said some nice and positive things about our programs, which I'm not going to read because that would be self-serving. But it continues to not only amaze, but um, what's the word I'm searching for? Just make me aw shucks when people that have had horrible things happen to them or bad luck in their life, and they write us and thank us for helping. Like, they ain't got enough problems. We, you know, we should be thanking them for listening. We do thank them for listening. Just not as much as they thank us. We should work on that more. And just remember, when things go bad, at least you're not an audio engineer working for Jim Cornette. Am I doing this again? It's I'm- not even that. It's whatever the buzzing and the banging and everything else in the background. Over the last few well, months, sh- we've had more unique noises <laughs> on this program from both ends, from our house here and, of course, from, from both your house ends. there. Have I got noises coming out of both ends? Is that what you're saying? Quite literally on this show recently, actually, you farted on the air once, and if people only knew. But uh, <laughs> I guess the point is, uh, get well yeah. soon, Todd, or things will get better, Todd. That's what I want to say. Yes, well, there you go. And Matthew uh, writes in, Dear Jim and Brian, hope this email finds you well. I'd just like to thank you both for helping take my mind off things and cheering me up at the moment. I recently moved to Japan from the United Kingdom to become an English teacher. And whilst I've enjoyed the life experience so far, adjusting has been a bit stressful. So the podcast you produce have been a good way to help me relax. And then Matthew continues that he got bad news yesterday that his family's dog had to be put down at at only 11. He was a wonderful companion, Matthew says. And I'm grateful he was able to keep my parents company during the past two years with COVID-19. So we, we send our condolences there also. And while we're on the subject of our four-legged friends, remember, uh, we got an email from Jeremy in Dayton, Ohio a couple weeks ago, or, well, a few, several weeks ago now, I guess. And we wished his baby puppy, Luther, a happy birthday. It was Luther's birthday. but. Uh, uh, Jeremy writes, I wanted to let you know he had a great birthday, but his last two weeks have been pretty rough. I'm all right now, but last week I was in rough shape. Two weeks ago, he got a hold of an albuterol inhaler and bit into it. He punctured the canister and got sprayed in the mouth. A few hours later, his heart rate was in the 200s, and he was breathing over 50 times a minute. Both are extremely high, as you can imagine. So he ended up going to the emergency vet and had to be hospitalized on an IV to lower his heart rate and blood pressure. He had a one-night stay, but then 10 days later got himself in trouble again. My father-in-law passed away on September 3rd, and while we were at his house, and you know, this is <laughs> this is some kind of telling that this whole entire email is about Jeremy's you know, problems with poor Luther being sick and he just glossed over. My father-in-law passed away in one line, but nevertheless, Luther pulled a dusting cloth into his cage and swallowed it. 
He ended up at the emergency vet again the next day. This time he was there for four days after having emergency surgery to remove a bowel obstruction on a holiday with an extra $500 for calling in a vet. Long story short, he's home and doing well and has only cost us a little over $12,000 in veterinary bills. Well, Luther, keep keep getting better and try not to... You know, he's got a problem with with eating things, especially when those things aren't food. So we hope Luther does better coming up. Do you have any suggestions for Luther? Uh, change your name. There's a bad wrestler with your name. Well, we don't... Want- We don't want everybody, all the poor puppies and kittens and parakeets around the world named Luther to have a bad reputation just because of the one bad wrestler. Um, More uplifting conversation. This is from Trisha in Calgary. Actually, she says Calgary. No one says the other A. Good morning, afternoon, or evening to you, Mr. Cornette. And in turn to you, Mr. Last, I hope this email finds you both safe and well. I started listening to both podcasts about a year ago as I fall asleep. Well, now it appears your isms are living rent-free in my brain. It started slowly, calling people a mark, then mud show, then bank-addicted drug robber. That one startled me as I would normally say, what in the sweet finger-painting baby Jesus when needed? But this marks another turn as I have started calling my best friend Weasel, and her name is Erin. As I start a harsh rehabilitation program to recover from a foot surgery that I've been told could take in excess of 18 weeks, I just wanted the both of you to know that the podcast lighten the day of many and irritate the few. Apparently, Trish has been in a wheelchair because of this foot for the past two years. So now, um, hopefully, the rehab program. We'll take care of all that. But, Tricia, we wish you in Calgary the best. Um, wish Tricia the best, Brian. I wish you the best, <laughs> Brian. Uh, here's another tale of triumph from Donnie in Northeast Ohio. Listen to this now. This isn't a question. It's a, it's a check-in statement. Last fall, 2021, I was weighing in at nearly 370 pounds. It's been hard work, but I am down to 265 pounds. 105 pounds in in less than a year. He says, I cut out sugar and corrected my diet and started walking 10,000 steps every day. Now that sounds hard. I cut out the sugar and corrected my diet at various points in in my life. I've never just gone insane and decided I was going to walk 10,000 steps. Well, by the the time you get finished with that, would anybody know where the fuck you were at? To be fair, you have no idea how many steps you're taking on a normal day. You're not tracking anything with a Fitbit or an Apple Watch or anything. Well, no, I just try to jot down notes as I enter and leave the room. Okay, 20 steps here. Yeah, you know, you're the one person I could believe actually does that. But you have no idea if you're in the yard, if you're walking to the Monroes and back, if you're yelling at people on the street and back. Well, that's true. That is a number of times a day to yell at people in a number of. No, I don't do it that often. But yeah, well, just around the around the property. That would be a lot of steps. It's not climbing the Matterhorn, but I guess still. Anyway, uh, Donnie continues. It hasn't been easy. 
and sometimes hard to stay motivated, but what's kept me motivated are these programs. I look forward to listening to you guys every day when exercising and walking to make myself better. It would have been easy to give up if I was bored with nothing to listen to. Well, thank you, Donnie. And you're doing a great fucking job. A hundred, you know, I just said when I read that, uh, what, day before yesterday and put it in the pile to put on this program, I realized that 25 years ago, next month, I weighed 90 pounds more than I do right now. On holiday, there's nothing like doing nothing. As an Expedia member, you can save up to 30% when you add a hotel to your flight so you can go out there with great ambition to do absolutely nothing for less. Expedia, made to travel. Is there a version of you that was on camera that looking back now you're kind of horrified at? Oh, no, I've thought I've looked great no matter what I've looked like throughout my <laughs> entire life. No, I'm never, no, I've always, as a matter of fact, I, I constantly look at old film of myself and go, God damn, I still looked good. No matter what my weight, no matter what I'm wearing, I just I fucking look fantastic. Marvelous. But no, I, I must admit that now, because see, that's the thing. It creeps up on you, the weight, and, and it creeps down on you too when you're losing it. You get used to what you look like at any given time because it's been a slow process to get there no matter what the fuck it is, positive or negative, which direction. But then, you know, later on you think, well, goddamn, I guess it probably is easier for me to move around now and my knees feel better, blah, blah, blah. But is anybody else in the wrestling business that is 90 pounds lighter than they were when they were 35 when they're 60? I haven't seen a picture of them yet. By cracky. If you were at this weight throughout the majority of your career, do you think you would have had more injuries? Now, what? If I was from the bumps like you I took, now? yeah. If you took the same bumps you took throughout your career, but you were this weight as opposed to whenever you were your heaviest or just medium, but you were still taking those bumps, still delivering your elbow drop, whatever <laughs> it is, would you be injured more or less if you had weighed what you weigh now? No, I. <laughs> I never took bumps where I needed the excessive padding that, you know, I'm always saying 140 pound girls can't be taking slams off the top rope through a table to the concrete floor or whatever the fuck. And that still, you know, is true. A six foot tall, 190 pound human being still has a little bit of a padding on them. So I never, I never did that shit. It was bumping in the ring or bumping on the floor from the floor, you know, a, a lot. But my injuries came from either the scaffold match, doing just obviously something I had no business doing, or just the accidental shit, you know, blowing the ACL in Philly or, you know, <laughs> Bullet Bob landing on me and popping a hernia out on me in Knoxville, whatever the case. That's actually did the added weight. Did the added weight actually help you? Um, well, no, that's what I'm saying. That was when I really got injured rather than just hurt, sore, banged up, bruised, knees, elbows, whatever. It was the accidental shit that would happen no matter what you weighed. Um, I, if anything, uh, I may have, you know, been able to move around a little bit quicker. I would, I don't know that I would have wanted to be 190 pounds, but I, in early in 
the business when I, when I first got into business as a manager and took the most bumps from what eighty two through eighty eight. By that time, I, both my knees were bad, and then also I was not completely motivated with WCW. And then I took a bunch more in Smoky Mountain because I was working for myself, and then pretty much curtailed it. But 220 or 225 had a good mix of padding, and I could still run around and move around when I was young. Uh, when I got bigger, such as the WWF days, that was... But goddamn, you needed to have a mattress wrapped around you to fall down on the WWF rings in those days. So, I don't know. I'd like to say that, boy, if I'd have lost weight and got in shape, I could have avoided this injury and that injury. But actually, no, I don't think any serious injury I ever had depended on. It didn't depend on what fucking I weighed when I was laying there and Yoko got a step off and sat on my fucking head. So anyway, I have another tale of redemption and triumph, Brian, from one of the listeners. Okay, redemption and triumph. Danny from Westfield, New Jersey, and this one is directed mostly at you, or at least most vehemently at you, because he says, Dear Brian, in all capitals, and Jim. I know Jim will want an explanation for this. Brian is listed first and in all caps because he'll appreciate the content of this email just slightly more. Jim, you're still my hero, and we almost have the same birthday. Happy early birthday. He's September 19th, and he'll be 33. Happy birthday, Danny. Uh, he tells me how much he hated me as a 90s kid, but appreciates me now. He says, I'm going to buy your action figure for your birthday and my birthday, and another two for each of my little nephews who love wrestling and don't have any manager action figures. Well, that's a good idea, actually. Folks, if you have children in your life that are deprived of manager action figures, now you know where to get them. You don't want to keep your little children in your periphery of your family being deprived and done without. Anyway, Danny says, to the meat of the matter, from the bottom of my heart, I want to thank the both of you for the endless hours of laughs while I struggled to find work in the TV industry during COVID for almost three years, you guys were one of the few things at the height of my depression that got me up and out of bed and willing to keep trying. He said he lost his home of four years in California, was forced to move back to New Jersey. My God, that's a fate worse than death. And he Depends was, on where. Depends on where in Jersey. I agree with you for the majority of the state. Teterboro. Oh, whew. I don't go to Teterboro anymore. I'm yeah. Well, he, he couldn't find work, and he ended up, he was a substitute teacher. And then, da, 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 Danny says, I'm thrilled to tell you both, Brian especially, that today I accepted a job to work for the TV home of our baseball team, the New York Mets, as a full-time producer. This is the greatest thing I've ever achieved in my career. And I would be foolish not to acknowledge the two guys that kept me sane for nearly three years I spent out of business and struggling to make any money. So he thanks us for helping him through this tough time and says, Brian, let's go Mets. But now what's going to happen if uh, George Steinbrenner doesn't like Danny? Oh, no, wait, he's the other guy, right? He owns the Yankees. He did before he died about a decade ago. His son, or his son, his family owns the Yankees. They're the majority 
owners, but his one son is the main son in charge. You're telling me George Steinbrenner is dead? Why didn't anybody report this when it happened? It was everywhere. It was all over some front pages, but certainly some back pages and many back pages across the country. Well, I, it must have been on the back pages here in Louisville. I didn't hear about this. I thought I'd be one of the first ones to be consulted. Well, that's terrible. Well, so he, but he owned the Yankees. That's right. So this doesn't have anything to do with the Mets. Well, it does have, he, what he said has something to do with the Mets. Well, what now you're you changing it, your story. No, you delivered a story that has nothing to do with the Mets. So then you said, so this has nothing to do with the Mets. Certainly what you said has nothing to do with the Mets, but Danny's email, and by the way, congratulations and let's go Mets. That had to do well, with the Mets. Yes, that's what I'm saying. That's not what you're saying. I don't we know, know what you're saying. The other guy, Steinbrenner, had nothing to do with the Mets. No, he just hated the Mets. He, but, and they didn't kill him. He died of natural causes. The Mets did not kill George Steinbrenner. Well, I've just found out George is dead. Now you're telling me that they may have had something to do with it up there, this rivalry between was, the Mets and the Yankees. He was like, imagine if Eric Bischoff. Who did they question? I don't know, but imagine if Eric Bischoff had his own money and used it wisely. Because that's kind of what Steinbrenner did to the Mets. Gooden gets suspended for a year in 94 for drug test failure. Steinbrenner brings him back to the Yankees. Now we got to see our fucking star pitcher on the Yankees. Daryl Strawberry, same thing, suspended. Steinbrenner brings him back. He's on the Yankees. David Cohn, our star pitcher. The Mets ownership chased him out of town. Comes back as one of the Yankees. It was like WCW. All the guys that you still wanted to see ended up on the other fucking show. Well, are you guys, so did they question these people that you just mentioned? Did they question Daryl Strawberry about the death of George Steinbrenner? Yeah. Why would he do that? He likes George Steinbrenner. Well, then who did they ever find out who did it? I think it was just old age or uh, he was sick with something. Well, it, it could have been one of these deals like they do the KGB Russian agents where they, you know, sprinkle something in your French toast and you get cancer. You never know. If I were you, I'd have that case reopened. I don't know if I have grounds to reopen it, even if I had Stephen Pinu on my side with this one. I, I'm pretty sure, it, I'm pretty sure Stephen would say, I want nothing to do with this. This is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. I don't if, have grounds to reopen it. If you get Steinbrenner exhumed and do a DNA test to see whether they put any radiation in his food that would have given him cancer, then you'd, you'd have some evidence. I'm just, I'm just trying to give you a tip. There's a great biography about George Steinbrenner by Bill Madden. You would like it because it's less about baseball and more about just this fucking pompous personality who went from shipping to buying the Yankees and just became kind of the biggest sports owner in history in terms of publicity and the way yeah. he interacted with the press. Starring role on Seinfeld? He never appeared on Seinfeld. Well, only the back of his head. Yeah, apparently he taped something and I never used it because he wasn't good as George Steinbrenner. Larry David was better as George Steinbrenner than George Steinbrenner was. Well, all he had to do was tell him to act naturally, but then he would have fired everybody. Did you like Keith Hernandez on Seinfeld? That was good. The, uh, the, uh, the uh, uh, second spitter. That's right. Roger Second McDowell. spitter. Forward and to the back, or how? What was it? <laughs> Forward and to the back. That doesn't make any sense. Back and to the left. Back and to the left. That's what it was. Well, how do we get well, back into terrible. a show here? Yeah. How do we get back into a show? It's terrible, by the way, about George. But you know, about George. If, if you keep 
Steinbrenner? You know, <laughs> yeah, if you keep doing that stuff, sooner or later, somebody's going to want to rub you out. So his time apparently came. I'm pretty sure that has nothing to do with this. And Danny, congratulations. I hope this conversation has not cost you your job. Well, you know, but there is feedback from many of the listeners, and these are only part of the emails we get, folks. Many of the listeners saying that our program helped them out of depression or anxiety or through a rough patch in their life or whatever the case. And if two stooges like me and you, Brian, can do that for people, then imagine what an actual experienced professional might be able to do. Because that's that's the thing is that a lot of people out there are stuck focusing on their problems that they have in their life and the problems that other people have caused them or whatever, instead of how to solve those problems. And what we do is we provide a little escape, a little getaway, a little time where people can not dwell on those problems and instead start thinking about those solutions. And if you want to do this on an organized professional basis, rather than this program that might cause brain damage at the same time, well, then you can talk to our friends at BetterHelp because that may be all you need is not only to listen to someone, but to talk to someone and get feedback and get another point of view on things. So if your brain needs to stay in problem-solving mode, if you're having trouble finding your own solutions, if you're having trouble stepping back and examining the things that are going wrong and trying to figure out how to correct them, somebody at BetterHelp may be a help because they may be able to give you a fresh outlook. If you're thinking about giving therapy a try, BetterHelp's a great option. It's convenient, accessible, affordable, and entirely online. So you do not have to go out in public. And you know, now the traffic is getting bad these days. Brian, did you see out in Oklahoma? They One of these tractor-trailer trucks turned over with a giant load of dildos and lube coming from one of the major adult manufacturers. I don't think that's a real story. I don't know why this is the story no, you're making up that, here. That I have was, not heard no, I'm not this, making no. that story up. I heard of it. Yes, it actually did. There was news footage. And they had the helicopter video of the thing, and there was the the uh, the aforementioned toys spread out all over the place and they couldn't actually say on the news what it was because the guy realized and he caught himself in the nick of time. But you could be in a traffic accident if you go out in public. Well, with better help, it's all online. You can have video chats or phone sessions, whatever you want. You can get matched with a therapist after filling out a brief survey. You can switch therapists anytime you want. You can't switch tractor-trailer trucks anytime you want when they've had a wreck on the interstate. But when you want to be a better problem solver, therapy can help you get there. Visit BetterHelp. That's H-E-L-P, BetterHelp.com, slash J-C-E today and get 10% off your first month's services. BetterHelp.com, slash J-C-E. And then we'll work on getting y'all a commercial driver's license so you can drive these tractor trailers and semi trucks i don't know about that but that's right better help well we've got some updates brian on some recent topics here on the program again from the people it's been so long we've had all this chaos and strife going on with these backstage shenanigans we haven't had words from the people in a while so thomas from ontario canada Hello, Jim and Brian. Recently, you both have been talking about the world of Japanese games. Let me tell oh my God, you not about this. the 
Let me tell you about the world of waifu. For the record, I have not played this game, but came across it in an advertisement. It's called Eroblast, E-R-O, as in erotic, Eroblast Waifu. The synopsis of the game is, you meet single waifu girls in your area and solve the puzzle of anime dating games. I will admit that anime dating games are a puzzle to me. What's a waifu girl? So it's not... The waifu... It's not a wife, obviously. I mean, what is this? No, according to Google, he goes on... See, there was going to be this information if you wouldn't just blurt out things and bust in. Uh, th- this game, by the way, mentioned on the Android play market and has a star rating of 4.3 stars with 18,623 reviews. And that's just from Dave Meltzer. Since I was unfamiliar, Thomas says, with the term waifu, and we've been talking about these, but he Googled what a waifu girl is. According to Google, a waifu girl is a fictional female character The plural can either be waifu or waifus. It's a fictional female character from non-live-action visual media, typically an anime, manga, or video game, to whom one is romantically attracted and or whom one considers their significant other. Also, in case you're wondering, some of the waifu girls are quite buxom in the pictures. And he says, I think rule number 34 had something to do with the world of Japanese anime. You know what rule number 34 is, don't you, Brian? I do not know. Well, he says, in case you're unfamiliar with rule 34, it states that if it exists, there is porn of it. That's rule. Thir- what's rule 33? If it exists, there's softcore porn of it. What the fuck? Anyway, so there, there we have another. There's a lot of people involved in this type of thing. But speaking of something else that people are involved in, we've had the controversy over the last couple of weeks. I've been asking you, Brian, you didn't seem to have a lot of favorable comments about the rappers we've been seeing on TV lately. You got, you got, um, oh golly, what's the um, Action Bronson? He's the the fat, middle-aged white guy rapper. No, you seem to have a problem with him. I don't have any problem with him. Well, now, what do you think? And he's younger than I am. He's younger than I am, middle age. He's younger than I am. Well, goddamn, then he's led a hard life, as Mama Cornette would say. Because you look much better than this guy. Oh, well, thank you, big boy. You can't argue with that, can you? And then also, we saw this West West Side Gun fellow that was rapping in Buffalo for, it sounded like a Buffalo rapping, but he was rapping in Buffalo for uh, Daniel Garcia. So apparently people do listen to these people, but uh, I I wanted to get some kind of knowledgeable viewpoint on it. So Tess from Long Island, Aloha, Jim and Brian. She says, I may be the only black girl that listens to your podcast by choice. Now that's kind of by choice. Backhanded compliment. <laughs> well, that's a weird way of putting it. Yeah. There are several people in a tenement in Brooklyn strapped to a chair that are being fed the audio 24 hours a day as a sociological experiment. But nevertheless, I have thoroughly enjoyed you trying to wrap your head around all this modern hip hop music. So I figured I'd help out my fellow Long Islander 
and give my opinion on the rappers that have made appearances lately on AEW. Now, let me say this. My feelings toward modern rap are similar to how I feel about watching Dynamite. A lot of it is hit or miss and is all open to preference. I myself enjoy rap music where I can make out the words the artist is saying without having to look up the lyrics, which is why I mostly listen to 90s rap. I had never heard a West Side Gun song before Dynamite last week, and now I know why. To me, the performance was hot garbage. I'm still confused why there was a performance on free TV for a wrestler we couldn't give a hot nut fuck about in the first place. It almost felt like the 90s Nickelodeon show All That when they used to have live performances after their variety show, which when you look at AEW, that's not far off. Now, the fat white guy, to me, has a better song. <laughs> I was live at Rampage when Hook first debuted and when the song hit, the entire crowd fell in love with it. I feel like the song goes perfectly with Hook's heelish look. I hope that Action Bronson doesn't do a live performance for Hook at Grand Slam, mostly because I feel like live performances are babyface-ish. And you're not incorrect on that, but apparently now it's not going to be... It's going to be a live performance, all right. I think from what we heard on TV this past week, the fucking rapper is wrestling. She also says, I don't think live performances should be for free TV. I don't think you should have a live performance, period, most because it's a waste of TV time. If you have extra time and don't know what to do with it, I don't know, you could probably have a match or in-ring promo with FTR, Starks, Hobbs, Wardlow, hell, anybody we actually care about. I see where she gets her ideas. Sorry for the rant. I'll be there live for Grand Slam, and fingers crossed it doesn't turn into Saturday Night Live, but if it does, I'll be wearing my Outlaw Mud Show shirt, so at least it'll be fitting for the occasion. Well, thank you, Long Island Tess. That's her rap name, by the way. Long Island Tess. You ought to hear her go. Did she say we're in Long Island? She didn't give me a street address, no. Are, what are, are you trying to now hit on our listeners? I'm not trying to hit on her. For your sake, Tess, I hope it's Nassau County. Oh, because you got good and bad parts of Long Island. I thought all of Long Island was magical. Oh, no, there's some real shitholes in Long Island. Well, where is MJF's magical place? Plainview. Plainview. Is that is that truly magical? Eh, I mean, eh. I'm more of a South Shore guy. I'm not really into Plainview. I'm sure he'll be uh, mortified. Anyway, we have one more update from the, the folks. We haven't talked about this in a few weeks, but Earl Webb from Knoxville, Tennessee. I guess I gave his... Well, it's that may be a uh, an assumed name because he has a different name on his email address, but it says Earl Webb, Knoxville, Tennessee. Anyway... Hello, Jim and Brian. I've heard the stories from fellow cult members, and I had to tell my own Hogan's Beach Shop story that happened in the beginning of May, and this was written about, oh gosh, maybe two months ago now. My wife and I are big wrestling fans, and we wanted to check out Hogan's Beach Shop. Shockingly, compared to other stories, Ron didn't immediately pester us about crazy topics. It wasn't until I unfortunately asked him a question about one of Hulk Hogan's weight belts they had for sale. I asked, was this weight belt ring-worn by Hogan? This was his reply. 
It's not just ring worn. Hogan wore that belt against Ric Flair and Roddy Piper in the same night. It's the most historic weight belt in wrestling. It's the rarest, rarest. It's the rarest weight belt in history. You can take a picture holding it for $40, but I'll let you do it for 35 bucks each. I politely declined knowing what was slowly beginning and told my wife we should get going. Before she could speak, Ron noticed her shirt and began to spiral into a long rant. Her shirt said, my body, my choice. Ron's response was, abortion is something the government insists upon because they're trying to clone the perfect American into a robotic slave to serve their personal needs. Really, COVID-19 was created in China for population control. The government is even paying farmers to burn crops and destroy fields so the middle class slowly dies. Soon, hybrid clones will remain made straight from the lab in China. If you don't believe me, watch it on Newsmax. They have the full story there. This was all said before my wife could speak. I said nothing and started to walk away, but he kept going with <laughs> roughly, Trump lost the election due to knowing too much about this. They hacked into the voting systems and made Joe Biden the president. Soon we'll live in a world of slavery and mass were just the beginning of our oppression. By the year 2024, all who had the vaccine will be activated and turned activated. into- Activated. And turned into cyborg-like clones while everyone else is replaced. That's why they are taking away guns because they don't want the working class to fight back. Soon we'll have no rights at all. Wait, so we're not going to coexist with the clones? We're going to actually be replaced by the clones? I think they're 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 replacing all the people who had the vaccine. That's why the oh. the you know the only people who aren't going to be replaced are the people who didn't get vaccinated because they're all going to be fucking dead. But anyway, Earl of Knoxville, again, with another wonderfully captivating and informative interaction with Ron Howard, the manager of Hogan's Beach Shop down here in Florida. The Earl of Knoxville. The, you know, well, that's true. He could be the Earl of Knoxville. Why not? And then, and then you could have the, the Count of Cherokee County and whatever the case. All righty then. The Count of Chattanooga. <laughs> Is it? Actually, you know, there was a Duke of Paducah. <laughs> I did not no, know he, that. No. He was a country music, the Duke of Paducah. <laughs> he was a country music star in the, I think, the 50s and 60s. Paducah, Kentucky, for those of you outside the contiguous United States. It's a, a quiet little hamlet out there in western Kentucky. And the Duke of Paducah was, and that's what every time Teeny, Christine Jarrett, every time she'd see this one guy that used to come to some of the spot shows out in, uh, around the Evansville area in western Kentucky. Down uh, across the state line, obviously, he had this giant cowboy hat and this spangly Glenn Campbell rhinestone cowboy outfit that he would wear. And he looked like he could be a department store Santa Claus in the holiday time because he had long gray hair and this big old long beard. He must have been 275 pounds and in cowboy boots. And he'd come into the show and Teeny would say, well, look, here comes the Duke of Paducah. I guess it was funnier when you were looking at him. In a lot of those smaller towns, you know, Barberville-sized towns and smaller. Yeah. Did people treat it like, did people get dressed up to go to wrestling? 
Like, <laughs> when I say dressed up, dressed in better clothes than maybe they wore during the day, did people treat it like a social outing in some of these smaller towns than it was? No. No. Because the only social outing in Rabbit Ridge, Kentucky, or Wartburg, Tennessee, or War, West Virginia, is church and a wedding or a funeral. So wrestling was a chance to go to the local high school or grade school gym or the community center or the outdoors, the football field, wherever they were going to have it, and see the people that were you know, that you see on TV, the TV stars, the wrestlers, because these people in these towns never, ever saw anybody that was on television in person. And then if you get up to, you know, a town the size of Evansville or obviously Louisville, but, you know, then you would see local news personalities. But in the small towns, they didn't even see that. But it wasn't a thing where they're going to get dressed up to go to the, the the stars are coming to them rather than them going to the stars, right? So, I mean, there were people, this guy used to come in all the time in Evansville. And what a, one night he came in, he had to be 350 pounds and he was only five foot, he wasn't as tall as I was, right? But one night he comes in and it's colder weather, so he's got on long pants and a jacket and he's eating a fucking turkey leg. While he's buying his ticket, he's got a turkey leg in one hand. He plops his $4 down. He gets his fucking ticket. He's going through. Now he's, and, and it, in Evansville, Teeny and her driver, Donna, at, at this period of time, Donna Bauer, they sold the tickets in the box office. So they're watching the whole thing. And on the other side of the door where you go through from the ticket taker is where the gimmick table was set up. So I saw the other side of the fucking deal. He's got turkey leg in his left hand. His stomach is so big that his belly is over the top of his pants. And everybody who's lived in the South or had a overweight relative knows what that looks like, right? When you got the belly over the top of the blue jeans and he's got his wrestling ticket in his right hand and he's trying to give the ticket taker his ticket, but his pants are falling down, but he's still got that turkey leg he doesn't want to fucking sacrifice. So he's trying to pull his pants up, hand the ticket in, give the turkey leg. They were just regular people. Again, in in that part of the territory, you know, it it happened in Evansville and it happened a couple of times in Madisonville, Kentucky, that for quite a while they ran once a month where a guy would come up and he was like a dollar or a dollar fifty short on the four dollar general admission ticket. He would trade teeny some, you know, some vegetables from his garden. And then one night from coming home from Evansville, we were going to Lexington the next day and Teeny and Donna stayed here at the house with me and my mom. And I woke up, go to the bathroom the next morning and there was Miss Jared in the guest room and she's snapping beans in a fucking basket, getting ready to take them home and cook them. It was just, you know, again, regular people. Tracy Smothers used to tell a story of one of our big shows in Pikeville right outside the, the, uh, no, it was hazard. Come to think it was hazard right outside the hazard gym, the Memorial gym there. It was, sits on a hill. And these two guys came up riding a fucking donkey to the matches that they rode from their house. And then they got off and slapped him on the ass and he went off back home by himself. 
So there was not a lot of wrestling at the chase type suit wearing formal gowns, anything, but they came and spent their money over and over and over again. They used to be a fan in Barberville that was dressed like one of the members of the Rock and Roll Express. When was the first time you started seeing fans dressed like wrestlers? Oh, God. Evansville's going to come up again. I've told this story, but there was a couple uh, named Joyce and John that always came to the matches in in Evansville and brought, I guess it was her, it was her mother, and her mother had a son that was junior, and then... Joyce and John brought their kids, John Jr. and David. And David, from the time he was like six or seven years old, this woman would make little miniature Bill Dundee jumpsuit outfits. Like Dundee started wearing the jumpsuits like Elvis, right? And so this woman would made him some that he would wear, you know, because she really was good at it. He'd wear on TV and wear the matches or whatever, but made her son, David, the matching Bill Dundee jumpsuits when he's like seven or eight years old. Well, it was fucking cute as shit, right? Until he got to be 14 and he's the jacket kid. (laughs) And he's still, he's a 14-year-old boy now. He's wearing Bill Dundee jumpsuits and taking the jackets at the ring. He was a poor fella. But again, you know, when... When the Rock and Roll Express got hot, even in Tennessee at the spot shows, you'd see some of the girls, but especially then in Louisiana, the bandanas. And a lot of people are going to say, oh, it's Van Halen. Okay, yes, that's where the Rock and Roll Express got it from. But I guarantee goddamn you, I saw these crowds in these towns. From the month before the Rock and Roll Express showed up to the month afterwards, there was an extra 30% of the crowd was Females 21 and under wearing bandanas and et cetera. And, you know, it just depended on who the hot, you know, the hot baby face was in that particular territory at that time. But you did start to have, you know, the cosplaying in wrestling is nothing new. It's just in the days of the territory, it was restricted to the fans in the crowd instead of the wrestlers in the ring. Any Lawler fans ever show up with a crown and a cape? Oh, <laughs> I don't think anybody ever went the cape route. Uh, there was a, there was a couple or three that would try to to do the crown thing, but the, a lot of wise ass guys, especially in Memphis during the mid seventies, were the the Lawler fans. Like that, as like in in the late fifties, the Sputnik fans were all. He was a heel, but besides the African American community, which was a whole other story, Sputnik's fans were high school guys like 14 to 18 to the point where they've said if you go back in a lot of high school yearbooks in 1959 1960 there's guys of that age with a white streak bleached in their fucking front of their head like sputnik then they got to live with that for the rest of their life or whatever so it just depends but yeah there's always been Fans that wanted to emulate or dress like or act like or, you know, support in some respect their favorite wrestler, just like Star Trek fans or football fans or any other kind of fans. A lot of awkward Buddy Rogers fans had to sit at the dinner table and explain to their parents what they did. (laughs) Yeah, with the bleached hair. Who was it? It was uh, Rock Riddle. 
Yeah, that's it, right. It actually, that Rock yeah. Riddle, who Rip later Hulk. became a a manager and wrestler very briefly, and was once made a famous appearance on the Gong Show, and Soupy he, Sales, and Soupy Sales, and Soupy Sales. Um, look up Rock Riddle Gong Show on YouTube. I bet it's there. But he actually started out as the fan club president for Rip Hawk and Swede Hansen, and bleached their hair blonde like like his heroes, and then. And that was that was astonishing because back in those days, a fan did not become a wrestler, a public fan that was corresponding with people in the fucking magazines and being a fan club president almost never became a wrestler in those days. So that was uh, that was pretty bad. I never got on the gong show, for heaven's sake. That was almost unheard of. You could become a professional wrestler, but you couldn't get on the gong show. J.P. Morgan. Boy, what a mouth she had on her. Well, it was a different part of her body that got them kicked off the air, I believe. Well, <laughs> she did, uh, who did she flash? I think it was, was Jean Jean, the dancing machine, just dancing around and she got really excited and decided to flash everyone? That is something like that. Uh, but it, it, didn't, it caused a little more trouble than Drew Barrymore on David Letterman. We're going to have to talk about wrestling sooner or later here on the program, I guess. But uh, we can avoid it just a, another couple of minutes by telling the folks about the incredible, incredible opportunity they have to have a good, healthy breakfast, right? What an opportunity. What an opportunity for one of the first times ever, folks. You can actually eat breakfast and not feel guilty after it. I'm not talking about whatever you may have done the night before or wherever you may have woken up or whoever you may have woken up with. I'm talking about not feeling guilty about the breakfast you eat before you take your walk of shame. And that's what you're going to need the folks at Magic Spoon for. Because Magic Spoon is going to make sure that you are guilt-free. You can go out, sleep with anybody, commit any acts you want, even if they're banned in that state. You know, no, there's still several no. states that See, don't have laws against bestiality. You know, I was going to let you keep going because it wasn't too bad yet. <laughs> and then you cross the line and then you just keep jumping over that line. But no, well, you will it, be guilty of anything you are guilty of. But when it comes to food you ingest, when it comes to your breakfast, you will have no guilt with Magic Spoon. It's guilt-free cereal because, you know, as as a kid, all those cereals were just filled with junk. They were filled with with various things like carbohydrates and sugar and things that would rot your teeth and all kinds of street drugs that were manufactured under a bathroom sink. That's what those old cereals had in them. But now this new cereal, no more street drugs manufactured under a bathroom sink for this stuff. No, this, this stuff has been formulated in the finest laboratory. I'm telling you, you'll see unicorns, lollipops, and rainbows on this stuff. It's got zero grams of sugar, 13 to 14 grams of protein, and only four to five net grams of carbs in each serving. Low-carb, keto-friendly, gluten-free, grain-free, soy-free, and only 140 calories a serving. You know what that means. That means you can shovel this stuff in your pie hole all day long and still not be so fat that you don't have a waistline, you got a coastline. It would Oops. probably be advisable to have portion control, even though it is healthy and delicious and nutritious. 
If I were you, I'd just get the entire variety bundle of this whole thing, your custom bundle, and just start eating it by the handfuls and don't stop until you're covered in in various effluvia that's running out of you because it's that good. No, stop when you're full and there'll be more when you need more. <laughs> stop when you're full. They'll make more and they do make more, but you need to buy it all or elsewise they'll stop making it because it'll be unsuccessful. What kind of asshole do you want to be to be the people that put Magic Spoon out of business? So get some for your neighbors. Right now, cocoa, fruity, frosted, peanut butter, blueberry muffin, maple waffle, honey nut, cookies and cream, cinnamon roll, peanut butter and motor oil. I'm just seeing if you're still paying attention. Disc golf. Folks, right in the disc golf right now. Grab the custom bundle, the variety package. You can get all you want of anything you want. And all you got to do is go to magicspoon.com slash Jim. Use the code Jim at checkout to save $5 off. It's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. Not only will you not feel guilty for eating this or anything you've done before you ate this, but this stuff is once you take the first bite, you'll get happy. And it lasts about three or four hours till it wears off and then eat some more and you'll be happy again. You'll be positively slap happy by the time you get finished with Magic Spoon. And if you don't like it, as we mentioned, for any reason, they will give you your money back. No questions asked. You will be forced to fill out a lengthy no questions questionnaire asked. No later. No questions asked. Let's just They're not going to ask that. them verbally, but there's written material <laughs> you've got to go through. There will be no You do questions. have to fill out some forms. <laughs> and there is also, you need to have things notarized. And no, you don't. Yeah, no, potentially you don't. witnessed See, by an adult. Even with this, you adult. go too far. Even with this, you go too You've got to have some of these things witnessed by an adult, not a member of your family or living with you. And a legal resident of that state. Magicspoon.com slash Jim. Use the code Jim to save $5 off it. You can save $5 even if you're an illegal alien. Again. Just, just don't tell the Republicans. They'll send you to Martha's Vineyard. Uh, Did you hear about this now? Oh, well, some on. kind of stunt. They're sending all the, the migrants from the border in Texas to Martha's Vineyard. So now they've established the precedent. If you show up demanding asylum at the border, they're going to send you to live in Martha's Vineyard. Within a week, every citizen of Jackson, Mississippi is going to be headed to the Rio Grande. Magicspoon.com slash Jim. $5 off. That's right. Awful. All right. We put this off for a while, but I got a birthday cake waiting on me. Let's talk about some wrestling from the past few days. And... This week, I wanted to have some WWE representation in the program, and instead of doing the three-hour death march known as Raw, uh, which is just way too fucking long, I decided because of the, the buzz, the report that they are trying to fix the sabotage on NXT, I thought, I'll check into NXT. We enjoyed that program. Up until one year ago, last week, when they changed it to a Nickelodeon game show and did the psychedelic colors and the, you know, unicorn vomit and whole nine yards and took away all the good talent, changed everybody's name and generally shit all over the whole thing. Well, now it's a year later and they celebrated the one year anniversary of NXT 2.0 
by admitting, uh, not in so many words, but by admitting they'd made a mistake and taken away the logo and all the colors and the 2.0 business and going back to just NXT with now instead of a black and gold, a black and white and gold logo. So, and I heard that Shawn Michaels was the one that made the announcement that they were ever changing and ever evolving and they'd always be there, blah, blah, blah. So, well, I'll see what they've done. And I even actually suggested that you, in your busy schedule, Brian, watch some of this. And you did watch some of it. And I guess maybe we watched the wrong week. We picked the wrong week to quit sniffing raw because they changed the program at the end and the program that they presented before the end of this thing was the same NXT that we've been laughing at. So I guess they got it out of their system, right? But should we briefly run through the things that they presented to the people, the people under the guise of a, of a wrestling program and at least establish it can't get any worse. It's got to get better from here. Whatever they're going to do to it, whatever changes they're going to make, it's got to be better than this, right? Well, you already mentioned the logo, right? Yes. <laughs> there it is. That's the NXT review, ladies and gentlemen. We'll see what happens next week. That's the only thing you have to talk about. Well, we didn't We didn't get to Shawn Michaels' announcement that they made us wait for, but I, what are the names of the people, the people, that comprise the team of Pretty Deadly. They introduce them not as Ricky and Robert, the Rock and Roll Express, or Bobby Eaton and Stan Lane, the Midnight Express, or whoever they, just Pretty Deadly. Who are these people? Who were they before they did this to them? It's a Mr. Pretty and Mr. Deadly. Well, you, you looked up the dildos on the highway and found out that I wasn't yanking your chain about that. So the first match on the anniversary episode of NXT was Julius and Brutus Creed against Pretty Deadly in a cage match. So they started off with the cage match. You know, you can go snowblind from this show, so I'm glad they're going to be changing it because between the bright lights and the colors and the finger painting on LSD and blah, 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 where I was going to go with that is Pretty Deadly, whatever their names are and whoever they were before, they look pretty uncomfortable being made to dress and look pretty ridiculous. And I'm wondering if they were legitimate <laughs> potential wrestlers before, and, and I guess they're from the UK, were they normal human beings, and then they bleached their hair out and stuck them in these goddamn pink netted half shirts and whatever. And it was an all-four in the ring at the same time cage match where the only way to win the cage match is to get out of the cage and the door's not locked. So they're going back to that old WWE horseshit cage match rule business. And I've said a million times, it makes no sense. There's no reason to have a cage match unless you're locking the people in the cage so they can't get out or somebody else can't get in. So now they're going to do stagey, phony-looking shit, green talent to begin with, trying to get out of an unlocked cage. And the first thing they do instead of heading for the door is try to climb over the top of it. So, And within the first 60 seconds of the match, all four of them were fighting on the top of the cage. 
So this was 20 minutes before this was over with. Uh, any? Did you see any of this? No. Good. No. I mean, I saw like there was a cage match when I was zooming past on Hulu, yes. but I didn't watch it. No. Well, we're getting to the good stuff in a minute. Lash Legend versus Fallon Henley. And and her manager, Fallopian Tube. I don't know where the fuck they come up with these goddamn... This match looked like two astronauts walking on the moon. Their awkwardness was actually defying gravity. And, I get, and Fallon Henley went over, so I guess they've given up on making Lash a legend. Remember, they were pushing her when she first came in. Had a talk show and everything. Did you see the bad acting and unrealistic material exchange between Von Wagner and the manager, Robert Stone, and two girls and a giant Indian guy, Hindu Indian, not American Indian? No, I didn't see any of this. It's news to me that Robert Stone's back. Okay, well, I think that was him. I haven't seen him in a while, but that was bad. And then... Remember the tag team of those two good-looking Southern boys, Briggs and Stratton? And they both look like they can fucking go, and they both look like Southern boys, and now apparently Henley is, is with them, and they run into, a, into toxic attraction. Mandy Rose and Jane Wayne Gacy and Gigi Allen in the backstage area, and which one of it is, one of the guys, is it Briggs or is it Stratton? He's got to act like they're still doing this. Remember, they were doing this a year ago, and I mentioned at the time that these guys, it was going to doom them, and apparently it doomed them because they're still in the same fucking spot. The one guy has to act like an awkward doofus around women. Now, if you told both these good old Southern boys to go out there and act naturally, probably like they would normally, or like two good old Southern boys, their age and their look would act, they'd be fucking everything in that goddamn locker room. And that's why that the Southern guys would like them, because they were fucking everything in that locker room. And that's why the Southern girls would like them, because even if they ain't in the locker room, they'd know they might be next. But as it is, they're mindless, childish, phony, stagey goofuses and dorks that girls wouldn't want to fuck and that guys would think are fucking dorks. So who's left? Dogs and cats? Are they going for the, the fucking pet lobby to be fans of these guys? I so didn't then, see any of this. Good. I'll keep moving. Cause this is a, this is if, if anybody in NXT is taking notes, this is brief free uh, commentary on what's wrong with your program and why the young people that you apparently want to watch it ain't interested in fucking watching it. Cause they're not that young mentally. Everybody acts like they're fucking eight mentally on this program. Toxic Attraction was in the ring then for a promo, and they have tried. I'm not talking about they, the talent. I'm talking about they, the company, and the talent. Everybody has tried so hard with this gimmick and tried to will 
tried to send out by mental telepathy that these girls are more than so-so workers and more than a so-so gimmick. And they even, I've mentioned that they even have them describing themselves in these weird, unnatural ways that someone else doing publicity about them might describe them as, but you don't talk about yourself like. So we live in the fast lane and the rock star lifestyle and blah, 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 and all this stuff. Compared to the top Attitude Era female stars, and actually compared to the top female talent on the main roster, these girls are not exceptionally attractive by that standard, nor exceptionally talented in the ring. And so they've tried to will the people to see something they're not seeing with this gimmick. And then, you know, Alba Fire. You know her, don't you? Alba Fire. Everybody <laughs> in the world is named Alba or Melba or whatever. Alba Fire comes out with a baseball bat and beats up the two Stooges, Jane Wayne and Gigi, and then hits her finish on Mandy Rose. And boom, and all the heels. So, so the one girl comes out and beats up all three of these heels. And then we go to the back for a Cora Jade video talking about Wendy Chu and then more Wendy Chu horseshit. She's in her pajamas and her little thing says Chu Chu on it. And it this it's like watching if if it was legal to have professional wrestling between 12-year-old girls. That's that's what's going on here. But then we get to the part of the program, Brian, that I made you watch <laughs> the debut of a brand new super diva. And I heard about this and somebody had tweeted, what in the world is Cornette going to say? And it was before I intended to watch the program anyway, but it was before I'd actually watched it. So I'm looking out. All I know is this, this person's name. And here it became. You saw it, right? You saw the whole thing. Yeah, I'll just get it out of the way before you even ask my only thoughts. It's like if Mabel fucked Goldust, <clears throat> this is what would happen. So, ladies and gentlemen, all of you who didn't watch NXT, and that's a bunch of you, here's what we saw. Super Diva popped up on the screen. And in a spotlight in the entranceway in front of the screen was a fat guy sitting in a chair wearing sunglasses and the chair spins around until you see this fucking character. He stands up. He's wearing a full body suit of shiny multicolored pleather and he's blowing kisses to the fans on his way to the ring. And as you mentioned, there's an element, a lot of influence of gold dust on this where he's constantly feeling himself and refreshing himself with and the, the gestures that gold dust did. 
And as well, it does look like Mabel if Mabel lost 200 pounds and didn't have any of the skin tightened up. In this outfit, he looks like if Mabel was a popped Macy's Parade balloon. A human waterbed, perhaps, might be a more apt description. You could show a drive-in movie on his bulbous ass and his man boobs look like two possums fighting in a pillowcase. <laughs> and this <laughs> exhibition is what's coming down the entranceway to get into the ring to fight a guy named Sean Gallagher. And the announcer was actually trying to, and I mean, he was, you could tell in his voice that he was asked to impart this information and he was doing it with a verbal eye roll. But the announcer was building this guy up as a big deal, beloved by the fans. He brings joy to everyone. Listen to the crowd, the ovation. They're at their performance center location and it's all the friends and family and they mustered up 30 people to fucking chant Quincy, Quincy. Quincy Elliott is this guy's name. And he started the match by shaking his ass at the guy, feeling himself up like gold dust and doing an odd little dance that made his mud flaps bounce over and over. I'm surprised he didn't blacken both of his eyes. This guy, I've seen, I've seen fat guys all the way up to the McGuire twins in wrestling. And I've seen giants and I've seen oddities and you've, I've seen people with deformities. I have never seen anybody that looked less like that they should be a professional athlete of any type being portrayed as a professional athlete than this guy. I could win a bodybuilding contest against this guy as I sit here right now if me and him were the only ones in it. That's how bad he looks. And the, obviously there was very little match. He, the guy took his arm, grabbed a wrist lock. He rolled through the wrist lock and blew a kiss at the guy, threw two punches, hit the ropes in a very odd way, came off with a flying uppercut, dragged the guy over to the corner, did more like gold dust meets Yokozuna, gets up on the ropes, does the gold dust thing, and does the bonsai drop. One, two, three. And I thought, I have really got to pick up the pace of my fast-forwarding. What, what is the audience for something like this? How are they they're trying to revamp their program on this same program? They're changing the logo. They're making a statement that they're, they're always going to, they might evolve, but they're always going to be around, which is another way of saying, we're sorry what we've showed you the last year. They obviously Triple H has in mind to make NXT more important. And they've supposedly made Shawn Michaels the one in charge. Is this, is Shawn Michaels now unable to control his sense of humor and thinks we ought to, you know, but I mean, what's next after this? Jojo, the dog faced boy? How is it? It's not like there've been a ton of fucking 
rotten looking physical specimens in one way or another in wrestling that were talented at either speaking or working and could draw some money because of their bizarre appearance. I can't see any of them in this guy. This had to be some kind of rib, some kind of joke. Somebody thought it'll be funny. Look at the state of him. You know, you can't tell me they signed this guy to a developmental contract. And has he ever wrestled before anywhere? Where did he come from? Why would you do this to a program that you're about to fucking revamp? Is So those are a lot of questions that you don't have answers to, but I'm completely in the dark of why, especially on this particular week, they would present something that looked like that. I don't have any answers for you. <laughs> you I, have, I, I go back you to have your, much silence. I, I, I go back to what you said earlier. I don't know what the audience is for this. Uh, I would like to see him against Nikita Lyons. That would be interesting. <laughs> but I don't know what the audience is for this. I think there's an audience for. I, I mean, I'm, I'm a broken record at this point. There's an audience for serious wrestling without it turning into a talent show for fucking people that didn't do the talent show in school. I don't know what this is, and I don't like it. And see, this isn't even cosplay wrestling, the gymnastics, the you know, the high school cheerleaders. It isn't that aspect of it. It isn't garbage deathmatch wrestling. It's just, uh, it's a parody. It's just, look, let's see how much of a joke we can make this business and anybody that wants to get in it and how bad we can make our own product and decision-making look. It's not like this particular style of wrestling is not for you and me, Brian, but has its fans like with, as I said, the Flyers or the Lucha guys or the Garbage Match guys. or the, This guy is not, not only not good at any style of wrestling, but the only person that would be a fan of this on a wrestling program is somebody who wants to make fun of wrestling because they don't like it or they want it to look stupid or silly to downgrade it. Well, in that case, not a lot of those people are probably watching the wrestling program. Just a thought. Maybe he could wrestle. Hey, look, this is the first time we saw him. I saw Maybe. him I saw him throw two punches, hit the ropes, throw that uppercut forearm and do the bonsai drop. I guarantee you that's the four or five best things he can do or elsewise it wouldn't have just been that. How many weeks do you think he's going to overdo it with the blowing kisses and touching himself before he realizes he's doing it too much? He got that about 45 seconds into his debut. Oh, it was way, it was just so much. Someone's got to talk to him and say, hey, a little bit, but this is a, the whole match, you can't do it. <sighs> but anyway, so that was that. That's what, and again, that's what people were talking about. After the fucking thing, besides the revamp and the new logo, that was the only thing that got any attention, and it was the wrong kind. And then they had, and it was a long dissertation on this, but they had Cameron Grimes in a handicap match against Tony D'Angelo and his buddy Stax. Old Stax. And they, they're still having Grimes shave his body, which makes him look like a small, pale hairy child, possibly the aforementioned Jojo the dog face boy. Uh, it, it just, it, 
he had some oomph, but uh, I don't know. They keep fucking with his hair. Anyway, so Gacy, Joe Gacy and his stooges come out. He's got some kind of spooky, demented group of two people following him around because he's somehow spooky and demented. He looks like Kevin Steen if Steen was a clerk at an auto parts store in the in the fucking outfit he wrestles in. It's a gray button-up shirt and black pants. What the fuck? And it's not like this guy has a a look of some kind to begin with, so you can wear bland clothing and still look like a star. He looks like a fucking auto parts clerk. Not quite as fat as Steen. So Gacy ends up tagging in and makes a comeback. Even if Cameron Grimes didn't want his help, didn't ask for it, didn't like it, but they win anyway. Um, and then Gacy's stooges turn around and beat up Cameron Grimes. And I thought, you know, with the look of the stooges, who look pretty fucking rough, and Gacy looks like some pudgy guy sitting in the crowd somewhere, and poor Cameron Grimes, without his body hair, looks like the guy working at the fucking filling station over in Itabena, Mississippi. And it makes, you, you've you seen many tapes of the ICW show the Poffos did in the late 70s, early 80s. I've seen what's out there, of course. Okay, the this talent makes the ICW TV shows look like fucking Mid-South Wrestling to me. It just, goddamn, it's just... I, I guess the only thing they're going for is to telling the audience, hey, look at these guys on this TV show. You could actually do this. You people out there look the same as these schlubs. That's the only selling point I can think of. And then they had a sit down with Braun Breaker, who, my God, <laughs> you got all this other shit. And then there's Braun Breaker. He looks like a star. He doesn't say anything silly. He's well-spoken. He looks great. They recapped his last year in the company and the title story. And this was the only segment of this program that actually belonged on a wrestling program. You see a grown adult pro wrestler speaking seriously and looking like something. And you can't tell me that anybody watching this program wouldn't think that you could line up Tony D'Angelo and Stax and Cameron Grimes and Quincy Jones and Mahatma Kane Jeeves and whoever else on this program. And a Braun Breaker wouldn't fucking stick all their heads up their ass one right after another in five minutes while drinking a fucking Gatorade with the other hand. And I think this is the biggest problem with their developmental system. You can't develop grown adults into bigger, better-looking grown adults. So you need to start picking them from scratch. Tyler Bate. Did you see him? He looks like an anorexic moon dog. He's got wild uh, the blonde hair and a long, scraggly beard, but he only looks like he weighs 175 pounds. He looks like the runt of Spot's litter. Is that the guy we saw? He didn't look like that, the way you're describing him, but he's the guy that had, uh, was it an NXT UK, him and Pete Dunne? Were those the matches we watched? Yes, yes. He looked normal then. <laughs> Something's happened. He wasn't any bigger, but at least he looked a little more normal. Uh, then, uh, again, 
Nikita Lyons and Zoe Stark against Ariana Grace and Kiana James. James Jones, what it's fun watching Nikita Lyons defy gravity. But this show, show is more girl wrestling than men wrestling and I don't see why a fucking girl would watch this program. I don't see why a guy, why a guy would watch this program, but especially a girl. In this day and age, there used to be more female wrestling fans than male wrestling fans. That is not the case anymore and hadn't been for 30 years since the guys quit looking like men and quit playing with the fucking rats. So apparently we know Nikita Lyons' roundhouse kick is made out of potatoes or elsewise this little girl that took it was just scared to death of it because she put her hand up and turned three feet before the foot came. And then Lions hit the clam slam. One, two, three. That was what won the name her finish contest, wasn't it? On the internet, the clam slam. Oh, maybe. I don't know. Could have called it the slop drop, but I guess that would have been sexist. Uh, then a bunch of guys had a fake fight in a parking lot. And I don't know who all these guys were. Some of them were security guards. They had security shirts. Some of them were allegedly wrestlers, I guess. They were all in street clothes. Nobody was identified, and they only spoke for about 15 seconds before they went to fighting. But <laughs> while this fight was being broken up in the parking lot, one of the security guards had the the presence of mind and the the compassion to tell another security guard, hey, we've got this. You go in there. You got a big match coming up. In the middle of breaking up the fight that they didn't have and they weren't breaking up, but one security guard was, you know, so kind to his security mate to say, we got it. You go in and don't miss your big chance. Because they did a deal where Javier Bernal, who is another 170-pound fucking diminutive five-foot-something wrestler, had to wrestle Hank Walker, who's one of the quote-unquote security guards that is a wrestler in training. And he comes out with no music and wearing street clothes to put that over and acts like he doesn't really know how to wrestle or just like a regular NXT guy. And actually, old Hank Walker just kept it basic, didn't fuck anything up, had great fire on his comeback, and his shit looked better than most of the people on this show, and he won the match one, two, three. He still looks kind of like shit physically, but he can work on that with some sit-ups. But he's tall enough and heavy enough that there's something to work with there. And then one of the other things that got uh, a pop on this show, did you see the NFL commercial, Brian? No. A bunch of people like creamed themselves watching NXT because an NFL commercial, they're plugging Aaron Rodgers, one of the NFL players, is using cult of personality. And all of a sudden you hear, and People on Twitter apparently lost their mind thinking that Punk was going to be featured on NXT some kind of way. It was the NFL commercial. And then finally, the main event, 
Carmelo Hayes and his friend Trick, who is still bout it, bout it, by the way, did indeed come to the ring and they talked, they did Wesley a favor by hurting him earlier in the night, maybe as one of those many backstage fights, because now he don't have to risk his North American title, but Solo Sokoa bursts on the scene. And this was surprising. He had just made his debut on the main roster, helping the bloodline. So now he's going to challenge for the North American title. And they start this match, and it was pretty good. Hayes took a big old backdrop. It's great just to see a backdrop these days. And he took a big one, and they go two minutes, and they go to the break. And it's four minutes till 10, so I know, okay, they're going to run over. But when they came back, Sokoa was the one guy really that picked up the in-ring on this show. Good action. You knew who the face and the heel was. Hayes takes great bumps. And finally, Solo wins the North American title with Splash off the top. And one would think that would be counterintuitive because he's starting on the main roster. but. Now the story is everybody in the bloodline, both the Usos and Roman Reigns and Solo Sokoa, have a championship of some description. So I can I can get into that. But I'm still thinking now the main event's over. It's already after 10 o'clock. Where's this big Shawn Michaels interview that I've been led to believe happened where he makes this big statement and they pop up a video and it's Shawn Michaels, and it's a graphic voice of Shawn Michaels, WWE Hall of Famer, and he's reading a written statement for like 30 seconds of how, as I mentioned, we apologize for what we've done to this program in the last year, and, and it's going to change. And then they drop the 2.0 off the logo and reveal the new logo. And that we didn't even see Michaels' face. He's there all the fucking time. They couldn't get him in front of a camera? May have been for the best. But, I mean, still, he's a star. People know who he is. It couldn't hurt to have Shawn Michaels on NXT because then they may say, oh, shit, he may do something or he may be on again or who else is going to come to NXT. It might create some reason to watch this fucking thing. Besides, these are not just unheard of names in the wrestling business. Everybody in NXT has a name that you've never heard before as a name for a human person. So if we can get some names that people recognize on NXT, that might cause other people to want to watch it. Just a thought I had. But that was NXT. Did I miss anything from what you perused or you just saw the fat guy in the statement? Yeah, I can't believe you just went this long about this crappy show. No one cares about NXT. Well, I wanted to make sure that everybody knew this is what they're trying to fucking make us watch. And and just because they dropped the 2.0 doesn't mean they didn't drop the ball on this program. Hamana, hamana. Well, if you've got bigger and better wrestling news, to impart than me tearing this thing apart, where should we listen, pal? Where should we go for all the late-breaking, important wrestling news? You know, right before you went to that transition, I was about to hit you with, well, it's your show, and then you do this. So what a yeah. nice man you are. 
Yeah. The wrestling news, of course, Arcadian Vanguard's wrestling news. Each and every day, every morning, we deliver to you a wrestling newscast minus opinion, minus conjecture, just the facts, some of our reporting, and of course, we let you know everything else that has happened over the previous day. Check it out. If you want to hear straight wrestling news without any gimmicks, without any silliness, without any opinions, check out the wrestling news. Go to thewrestlingnews.com. Available wherever you find your favorite podcast. Thank you so much to everyone who has subscribed and checked it out already. And we are on YouTube, on the official Arcadian Vanguard YouTube channel, every day, The Wrestling News. Check it out for your wrestling news each and every morning. Of course, I want to make mention of some of the other fine shows on the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. This week, stick to wrestling with John McAdam. John looks at the AWA in 1982. Hulk Hogan before he got to the WWE. Check it out today at McAdamPod.com or look for Stick to Wrestling with John McAdam wherever you find your favorite podcasts. And of course, the 605 Super Podcast, The Mothership! Yeah, I like that. It makes me feel good. Go through the archives at 605Pod.com. Let me break that glass again. Hit it. Yeah. Did I actually break something on my desk? Well, go through the archives at 605pod.com or listen wherever you find your favorite podcast, The Mothership. Hello? 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 Is this thing on? Is what on? Hello? We've lost Brian. He must have punched his desk too hard. All righty then. And let me say something just real briefly before we move on. If the people knew... What all the fuck is going on in your life with not only the wrestling news and these programs and the recording and your multiple children and your happy marriage, but also the personal situation that took you away a few weeks ago and that is still taking up a lot of your time. I don't know how you're sleeping or doing this, but we all thank you, Brian. On behalf of all the listeners for the work you put into this, you are an insane man and Anybody else would have been driven off the fucking cliff. So thank you for everything you do to get all of our programs on the air. Well, it helps being an insane man when you work with someone who is much more insane than you could ever wish to be. See, just stand next to me. I'll make you look good by comparison. <laughs> That's right. Thank you. Martin. Speaking of looking good by comparison, we if you've got video footage of that truck turning over and spilling dildos and lube all over the interstate it may look better than last week's aew no i i i just there it wasn't as bad as week before last let's put it that way uh they're moving in the right direction at least and first i've got to uh we got to bring up there's an update on something that we talked about on the drive-through a few days ago we asked the question well, if old Kenny Olivier is suspended from his executive vice president position, suspended as a wrestler, how is he in Japan going to this video game convention they got going on over there or whatever the fuck he was allegedly doing at Sega headquarters or when he had the, you know, the joystick in his hand or whatever's going on over there? Apparently, they have sent out a clarification that Kenny Omega will not be involved in any of the official AEW activities related to this video game convention or what they were sent over there to do. 
Yes. So apparently this nitwit just loves video games in Japan so much, he flew completely around the world to fucking go have his picture taken in the lobby of the video game company as a as a mark instead of a, a, a person working there. Watch him decide not to come back from Japan. Wouldn't that be funny? You know what? I'd be more than happy to help him make that decision. Maybe Tony will too, but it, but that's uh that's an update. He is not appearing on any official AEW um platforms over there while he's doing that. He's still suspender five. That's right, but unofficially, I'll be playing eight out of ten video games that Sega presents me. Yes, and actually, if anybody wants to call their favorite phone sex line, 1-800-BLOW-ME, anything like that, he's working the overnight shifts this week. How about that? Did you see that all of a sudden, people were acting like this Kenny Omega said he wouldn't hire 80% of the roster thing is brand new news. We talked about that weeks ago here on the show. Yeah, well, they were acting like, oh, that's just a rumor. That just, uh, that didn't happen. No, that's what happened. That's why we said that's what happened. And now a couple weeks later, everybody's catching up to us. Guys, he's not a good executive and he's not a great human being, maybe. And guess what? There's more. So shut up. Stop doubting us already. It's these doubting Thomases. Uh, and and I now, now certain people sympathetic to the cause of Twinkle Toes and the rest of his merry band of pranksters are trying. Well, he was just kind of joking. Or he was looking at Will Osprey because they got heat. Does Will Osprey constitute 8 out of 10 of the AEW roster? Is he on the AEW roster? He works for New Japan. Well, exactly. But no, that's, they're trying to deflect. He was looking at Osprey when he said that. Then why didn't he say, I wouldn't have hired all of you, or there's certain of you I wouldn't have hired, while exchanging a pointed glance with Mr. Ostrich, his Japanese rival. But no, he just made a blanket statement. Hey, if it was up to me, I wouldn't have hired eight out of ten of you. Well, we got news for you, Twinkle Toes. There are probably quite a few of them that would say the same thing about you. They just can't because you used to be an executive vice president of the company. And they're waiting to see whether or not you will be again before they say, you fucking dog-faced piece of shit, don't talk to me like that or I'll slap the taste out of your mouth. That's what they would have said to you had you not been their boss when you said that. I also love the other idea that when the altercation was happening in CM Punk's locker room, after All Out, that it was the Bucks and it was Punk and it was Ace Steel. Kenny was just innocently trying to save the dog. When yeah, he, when but it, he, all of a sudden he got beat up. Not Kenny was there trying to like break everyone apart. No one in the middle of that fight's like, oh, let me get the dog. No, he was he was looking for a future pay-per-view opponent. I'm telling you, Kenny and Larry, because look at it this way. If if a an inanimate object like a blow-up sex doll or a six-year-old girl can give Kenny a, a goddamn competitive match, I believe that 25-pound Larry, rescue dog, can kick his ass. That is the ultimate challenge. It's a lot easier to work with a blow-up doll than an actual dog. Yeah. It has to be impossible to have a good match with an untrained dog. So there you go. And I'll tell you what, one of the best working dogs I ever met was Arnold Steiner, Scotty Steiner's dog. Arnold could go. And when he would put your entire foot in his mouth, he wouldn't even tromp down on it too hard. He'd just hold it there. He was working. 
So I think that maybe Kenny saw, you know, while my friends get their asses kicked by CM Punk, I'm going to grab that dog and we can go in the back and tape an angle and then I can be on the pay-per-view next month against Larry the dog. But then the people would be cheering for Larry. But at least Kenny wouldn't have to worry about having his leg humped. Larry, I've, I understand that Larry is very judicious. No, Larry. At least he'll have that going for him. Yeah. Well, Larry picks his partners carefully. I don't think he would, unless Kenny did a blood test or something, I don't think Larry would want to hump Kenny's leg. You're not sure where that leg's been. Should we talk about the television program now? Yeah. Okay. Well, AEW this past Wednesday night on the road to the Grand Slam. Grand Slam. Or the Grand Scam, or the Grand Slam at the Arthur Ashe Tennis Stadium. Uh, they had their two semifinal matches in the world title tournament. It was necessitated because of Punk's injury and then the media scrum and the blah, blah, blah. And the first semifinal match was Moxley versus Sammy Guevara. And of course, they're trying to keep the audience. And as we'll talk about later on, Brian, get those, get those numbers up. We, they're doing a little crowing. We're going to have to crow a little with them about how good their numbers were, because they actually put this thing together like a fucking wrestling card instead of, you know, a family reunion that you want to duck out of an hour early, beat the traffic. But the first thing I wrote when I saw it's Moxley and Sammy, and I said, good Lord, it <laughs> they are in such a state, it has to fall to Plumber Moxley to be the savior of this company. And... I, I, when they started out, I'm not sure what the fuck Sammy was trying to do to Moxley in the corner. It looked like shit. It was, he, he was trying to stomp a mud hole in him, but he, I don't know what the fuck he was doing. Sammy did a dive. Well, I, I, I should say that it, it, for the people who were convinced that I'd lost my mind when I said that Moxley's promo last week was not only perfect, it was brilliant, it was exactly what their fans needed to hear, it was great material, delivered beautifully. There's no mystery now, he's not going to change his style of wrestling while being asked to step up and be the one of the guys to carry this company. He's going to do the same matches. They traded chops on purpose, Sammy did two dives, then they fought on the floor, and Sammy bounced Moxley's head off the steel stairs, and then the fans patted the heel on the back for doing it. It sounds like I'm making this up to be funny, but I'm not. That's exactly what happened, and then they went to the break. So when they came back, the first thing you saw was Moxley gave a flying bulldog to Sammy head first on the apron of the ring. So again. Uh, just because he came out there and was a great statesman one week apparently doesn't mean that he intends to actually start having logical quality wrestling matches. Moxley gave Sammy a double arm suplex off the top rope and got a two count. Five seconds later, Sammy was reversing a double wrist lock into a Boston Crab. Sammy kicked Moxley in the back of the head. Moxley staggered, and did you had to have seen this one. This is where Moxley was in the corner, in the turnbuckles, and Sammy's on the apron, and he jumps up and gives him the enziguri in the back of the head, right? And Moxley actually staggers out, taking steps toward the middle of the ring, 
reaches back while selling the enziguri and pulls his pants up, turns around to face Sammy, and places himself in the right place so that he can watch Sammy jump from the apron to the top rope, then to the other top rope, and then do a backflip so that Moxley can stick his head out towards Sammy so Sammy could hit his move, and he got a two count. Did you see that one? I did. I did see that, yes. Can you explain to me what the fuck is going through anybody's mind when, if you're a wrestler and you can do that move and somebody else agrees to take that move, after you see it on TV once, why do you ever do it again? Why does the guy doing it ever do it again? Why does the guy taking it ever do it again? Because it looks so phony. It may, in your mind, when you think, I can do this, and oh, I can take it, but when you actually see how stupid and phony it makes both guys look, why do they ever do it again? So anyway, bear in mind, this is the World Championship Tournament. And don't worry, I'm not going to rip everything apart through the whole show because I see where they're trying, and I'm going to give them due for that. But... In this case, this is their world championship tournament. They're both down, Sammy and Moxley. And here comes Anna Jay and Ty Meloconti. And one of them jumps up on the apron of the ring, and the other one runs around the other side. Of course, the referee is drawn to, I believe it was Anna Jay. And who wouldn't and then, be? Uh, well, it, in, this, in this respect, it looked ridiculous. You see the two girls come down together, and then one of them goes around the ring. They weren't even trying to hide her from the referee. The referee just goes to one, ignores the other one. Ty rolls into the ring in high heels and just walks up and kicks Moxley in the balls from behind and then leaves the ring. And Sammy, small package, two count. That wasn't even the... <laughs> so now they're doing indie show spots with green girls in their world title tournament, is not even the finish. The match went on. The presence of these women was not only not called for and not necessary, it distracted from the whole issue and made in the go-home stretch of this match made them look extra phony. And then the match went on until finally they were, had run out of things to do, so Moxley just reversed Sammy's finish into his double-arm suplex. Boom, one, two, three. 20 minutes to get to that point. Could have been wonderful in 10 to 12, drop the girls and try to have a wrestling match, but nevertheless, they got to do their stunts. What'd you think? You know, I wasn't crazy about the match, and I went into it pretty optimistic just because Sammy can do good stuff, even though he does a lot of stupid stuff, and then he brags about it with the, I'm crazy, and then he like does something completely <laughs> stupid. And Moxley... I mean, I still stand by the best Moxley match I've seen in AEW was the exploding ring match with Omega, where they had to tell the story of trying to stay in the ring and not go on the explosives <laughs> that didn't work. It was the best match I thought he had there, but not a big fan of his stuff, not a big fan of his striking we've talked about. They were on the floor for a long time. It was almost the entire commercial break. Was there no count at all? Of course well, no, there was because if you attempt to enforce any rules or parameters moxley can't have a fucking match he refuses to maybe he could we'll never find out he won't the stuff with the girls you're right it wasn't well done and uh, also i think a lot of people probably groaned as soon as there was any kind of run-in in a match like this yeah. AEW seems like they're having a lot more run-ins now than maybe i'm wrong about that and there was no need of it 
Because the baby face was going to win to begin with. You didn't need to fuck him, so you don't need to run in. And they were more than capable of doing a fucking false finish where Sammy looked like he almost had him, but he barely kicked out. That's all that we got out of this interference. And to be quite honest, if he didn't get that spot, it's fucking Sammy, and he ain't John Moxley, Brian Danielson, or anybody of that, Chris Jericho, any name value that's going to get him out of this current predicament. This is about the world title. He could have got fucking beat. So it just, it just adding more shit to complicate the issue because somebody likes a spot. What about if we do this? Well, what about if you shut your pie hole? Well, the other thing too, is I will say is a positive here, and this is a positive for AEW, although the word is Moxley was going to take a vacation and he was called back because of everything that happened. They needed some star power. A vacation, the the only reason the idiot wrestles more than once a week is because he books himself on garbage shows to wrestle bank-addicted drug robbers. Why does he need a vacation from working one day a week? Well, there's also travel uh, to get to these places, but what I was going to say yeah. is, he's there, and clearly they could use him, and boy, was this crowd into him. The crowd's not into a lot lately. It's not just a one-off thing now. It's multiple shows where the crowd is silent Yeah, for a lot of stuff. They're into Moxley. Whatever I think about him, whatever I like or don't like about him, can't take that away from him. He's clearly the biggest baby face they got right now. And I thought he was great as a heel at the pay-per-view against Punk. And I wanted to see more of that. But you can't deny that reaction he got. Well, no, that's why I say it's, it's a shame that it has come down to plumber Moxley to have to be the one to save the day here. But they like him. They're even They're more into the entrance. He's been doing it for a year now. Maybe even longer than that with the wild thing. He's been coming from the parking lot for goddamn forever. But they seem more into it now. They've lost some people that they would want to cheer for temporarily. And also they've had to push Moxley into service more. So yes, it's Moxley is and Danielson is the right choice, as we'll get to, for you know, their their finals, but again. It would be wonderful if he would step up more than verbally, if he would realize that he is has a wrestling style that he's enamored of that drastically limits people that are going to fucking appreciate what he's doing because it's the goddamn indie fucking mindset garbage wrestling fans that want to see shit on the floor and constant complete ignorance and, and ignoring the rules. But anyway, they're going to have to ride that sway back horse because that's the one they got that's already shod and ready to go. But speaking of another horse they can ride in the future, next up was MJF, in-ring promo. <sighs> Let me say this. Again, everything that MJF does is better than everybody else's shit because he's the goddamn incredible promo of the day. I'd love to see him and Heyman. Just give me two hours of him and Heyman. But he's an incredible promo. He works hard. He he thinks about things. I'm not even going to blister him right now here publicly because it may have been a one-week aberration. He's starting to fall into a bad habit that I kind of maybe understand, but hopefully he'll nip up out of it. The yelling? 
the always being mad, mad at the opponent, mad at the people. He was trying to get the people to boo him, but he sounded mad at them instead of dismissive of them or mocking of them or whatever, like they're below him, blah, blah, blah. There's more than one way to get a heel reaction. But he had to talk about Moxley for a minute, obviously, because, you know, that's where MJF's attention is being pointed is the world title. And he said last week, I'm not going to mess with this tournament. I'm just going to, if it's Moxley, fine. I'll be going after him afterwards. And then he introduced Stokely. And as his best friend for, you know, 10 years or whatever, and Stokely's group, which is called the firm, which is a stable on retainer for MJF. Okay, I see what they're trying to do. I applaud the effort. A promo segment after a promo segment is tough to do because people have been hearing a lot of talk and they hear MJF and then he hands it off to Stokely and Stokely's got to start giving his backstory from scratch. And Stokely can talk and they were trying to do something here that they never do, which is actually explain shit. Who, who are these people? Why did they come together? What is their motivation? What are their goals? I understand. We've been begging them to do that, right? And I understand that. And again, and I hate to, at this point, I hate to even make people think I'm bitching about stuff just to bitch now. But when they first start explaining people and their motivations and how a group came together and whatever, they have 10 minutes of promo with MJF and then they hand it off to the new manager to do another 10 minutes and introduce everybody individually and it started getting long. I will just say that started get you don't need to explain everything about everybody all in the same segment. And so I I mean I know it's feast or famine and at least they're they're doing the right thing. But you know it it got the guns are great in this group, the gun boys. The seven foot Greg Allman can be useful in a group. I don't think he's a single. He's never going to be a single attraction as a giant or whatever. But in a group as muscle, that's great. Lee Moriarty with green hair makes him, I think, look indie and outlaw. And I wouldn't have started with him in the group. I may have brought him in later on, but to start out with five guys that have either been used underneath or not at all, and one of them's got green hair, we're starting already to get a little visually fucking off-putting. And the last one, of course, the other page, you like him, you think there's something there, I can't stand him, I think he's fucking, he's a wrestling pretend wannabe wrestler. And he plays a part rather than is one. I don't like anything about him. And that started when he was another one of these fucking jolly jokers that wants to do the comedic videos and wrestle himself in impact. I know, but I've never forget things. So I don't forget that either. I think he's useless. So you got two young talents that really do deserve escalation in this group. You got seven foot Greg Allman. He's the muscle. Lee Moriarty, I guess, is there, whatever the fuck. The other page, what happened to Scorpio Sky? I know Lambert's been gone for a while. Did 
Did they ever carry Lambert out on a stretcher or put him in the back of an ambulance and send him to a medical facility? Is there any explanation for where Lambert went, or was he just allowed to come in, make mockery of the company, talk bad about all the fans, every once in a while get bumped around, but never any decisive, we got even with this motherfucker and got rid of him, he just left, right? Right. I don't think that's exactly right. And what a horrible run it was. And did he take Scorpio Sky with him? Because Scorpio Sky and the other page were supposedly MMA fighters and tough guys and all this stuff. I think he's hurt. I could be wrong, but I think Scorpio Sky's hurt. Another under contract. Yeah. Okay. Well, so is everybody. My Aunt Lola's under contract at this point, AEW. So anyway, Stokely is not a manager. He's a friend that gets things done and he loves blackmail. Um, and like I said, it only got long when he had to go into each guy and what their programs are going to be already. And the only ones over with the crowd was the guns. And this is the the other page wants the all Atlantic title so he can represent Canada. He'd be the only one that either wants the all Atlantic title or wants to represent Canada. And I think that Canada could probably come up with a better representation than the other page. But, I mean, Stokely can talk, and I guess at least if it's a stable-on-retainer that MJF can use them for his nefarious purposes but doesn't have to be out there with them all the time, which, if it was him and Stokely, he'd bring Stokely up. He doesn't need a manager to talk, but, you know, uh, an interferer in the corner. But with the other rest of the group, it would... It would not elevate MJF having to be in a group with all these people regularly. So that's a good thing there. What do you think? It went really long. It felt like it did at least. By the time he started introducing the guys, it already felt like it had gone long. And then you realize after the first guy, oh, this is going to take a few minutes. Yeah. He could talk, but he was kind of overexposed here. Cut it down next time. I mean, you had to explain something, but all those guys have already been in AEW for a while. Other than, uh, uh, what's his name? Morrison. Not Morrison. Morrissey. Morrissey. Other than him, everyone else has been there for a while, and everyone knows who he is. But I guess you want to explain this. You want to have some background to it. We'll see where they go. I would have liked to have heard more from MJF, but I do think he's yelling a bit too much. And, and again, yes, you want to explain everything, but not all in the same week. You don't show people... A bunch of people doing a bunch of things for five or six weeks and then come out and in one promo segment, he explained everything. Now, I've got some notes here for those of you who might have forgotten. One week, you could MJF could have introduced Stokely. And Stokely could have come out and said everything he said about himself and that he had assembled a group that you were going to be seeing more of and hearing more about, because they were going to be dominating, because he's a guy that gets things done. And then we already know some of who's in it, because they were involved in the deal at the uh, pay-per-view. So why couldn't he come out next week and bring out the guns and talk about what they're going to do? And it may be another guy. And maybe the other guy's the next week. Just in increments. Nobody needed to know all that at the same time, but it was welcome to see explanations. Speaking of explaining, 
How did Jungle Boy get Gargano's face away from him? Has this fucking kid now just given up? He wanders to the ring. They have been focusing more and more on Jungle Boy, and he looks less and less fired up. You know, that is true. You're not being unfair there. He wandered to the ring. He haphazardly and half-heartedly slapped some fans' hands. He's got Johnny Same Face's expression on, and even Baltimore is not really adding to this anymore. He looks dejected like he's realized, well, golly, I guess I don't really know what the fuck I'm doing, and I'm not going to be a big star. That's what it looks like on his face. He's just wandering around. And then they've got Jungle Boy against Jay Lethal, the exact opposite. A guy who not only doesn't run from promos, but <laughs> invites them because he can talk his ass off. A guy who goes out and overperforms every time he gets in the ring. A fucking all-around excellent pro wrestling talent. And it's Jungle Boy versus Lethal, and they VTR'd Lethal on Rampage on the Friday show that nobody watches except homeless bums living under an underpass that can look into somebody else's window that's watching it. They had Lethal versus Dax, and Lethal beats Dax Harwood on Rampage. And now they've got Lethal versus Jungle Boy, and I wrote, I guarantee you Jungle Boy will win. That means they expect us to believe that Jungle Boy could easily beat Dax Harwood because Lethal just beat Dax, and now Jungle Boy will beat Lethal. This makes no sense. Jungle Boy, good-looking face. I've said it before, he's a baby face that would get people would get behind because of the way he sells if he's in the ring with a veteran who can lead him. He still needs to be led. If he's in the ring with the cheerleaders, he has a cheerleading match. He has no psychology. He's got no oomph for personality. He's not out there fighting to get more promo time. He's fighting to not have to do promos by his own admission. And it's been almost three years. And he's blah more now than he was when we started. Here's Lethal. Tons of experience. An all-around tremendous performer. Comes in, does a handful of jobs in key positions and, and hampered his debut. But now they're putting him over some people. But they put him over one of the best wrestlers in the company because Dax has to do a job as a single to everybody because he is the best wrestler in the company. So you'll have a great match. And for some reason, people have decided that you can beat a tag team member like a fucking drum. And it doesn't hurt the tag team, but that's not the case. And uh, so guess what happened? Jungle Boy beat Jay Lethal here. Um, and the finish was Lethal hit some big stuff and got a two counter two. And then Jungle Boy went for the snare trap. Sanjay pops up on the apron. Jungle Boy nails Sanjay off the apron. Lethal rolls Jungle Boy up. But Jungle Boy rolls through and gets the snare trap again. And Lethal taps out. So the guy. Bumps the manager and beats the heel flat in the middle by tap out with no out for the heel to bitch about. Because they combined all their finishes. Yes, 
if the fucking heel is going to go over, then the manager pops up and the baby face comes off and pickles him and the heel rolls the baby face up from behind one, two, three. And there you go. Or if the baby face is going to go over clean in the middle, don't fucking goddamn have him punch the manager too. Why don't you just piss in the heel's mouth while they're down there? You've done everything else to them. It doesn't make sense. This is amateur hour bullshit. Anything on that match you want to comment on? I mean, there's not too much to say beyond what you said. I don't care about Jay Lethal right now, and I don't know if I'm going to for a while. Maybe when he gets cycled off and then he brings back, or Tony brings back his undercard guys again in six weeks or however he cycles it. It'll be different. Maybe they'll do something different, but you know what the result's going to be when the match starts. You're right about Jungle Boy not seeming interested. His promos have just been so... I mean, he's never been a talker, but they've been just so... Downcast isn't even the word. Just There's no <laughs> real emotion there. His mom and sister in the front row have shown more emotion of yeah. this whole thing than he has. I'd like to take his mom or sister out for a spin. They look like they got some personality. Will you stop it? You see, you take it too far once what? again. What? I'm saying take them out for a nice drive, have some fun conversation while we're driving down the beach there or out in the jungle or wherever they... Okay, you're not going... <laughs> I'm the jungle. All right, listen, just take in yourself the, for a spin. They don't have good roads in the jungle, though. I'd rather take them down for a drive on the beach. All right, take yourself for a spin. Yeah. This Jungle Boy Christian feud... Now that we know Christian's not going to wrestle in his Jungle Boy Luchasaurus, end it soon. Don't prolong this thing forever, because I'm losing interest in Jungle Boy, and I think a lot of other people are, too. Well, I lost some interest. Oh, I must mention Hook and Action Bronson are in training, and the training video looked great. It was like, you know, fucking sweat flying and dark shadows and muscles pumping and everything. And then you see action Bronson and he, goddamn, he looks like a fucking 40 year old pot pie, but we'll see what happens next week. They're, they're in New York. Maybe he's, a he's the down guy. Hey, right? listen, maybe he's the next Jerry Blackwell. Do you, do you know, this is going to be a rib. If action Bronson turns out to be the highlight of next week's television show. I will admit it if he is. If he can work, I'll tell you he can work. Well, here's what you have going against you. What you have going for you is the past few celebrities we've seen in the ring, Logan Paul, Bad Bunny, there's probably a few others I'm forgetting, have done a pretty good, usually they're better than the wrestlers. They've Uh, done a pretty um, good job. Pat McAfee. Pat McAfee. Where we've seen wrestlers or celebrities, maybe not so much, AEW. Shaquille O'Neal. That's what we had there, so... I don't know. Maybe Action Bronson. He's he's a wrestling fan. He takes it seriously. He's training with Hook. It's his hometown. He ain't gonna fuck up in his hometown. I think he could steal the... I mean, I don't know what the rest of the lineup is, but he could steal the night. Action Bronson. He could steal the show? He could steal it, and we'll know where to find it. And it'll be petty theft. (laughs) All righty. Moving forward, Officer Bar Brady apparently is back. Has Alex Marvez been excommunicated from his sports writing job. Are we going to have to see him now multiple times on every week? He was gone for a while. Was he in quarantine, a Turkish prison? Where was he? Why is he back, more importantly? And how can we send him back to where he was before? I was recently in a hotel room, and there wasn't too much on TV, and I ended up watching South Park for the first time in a while. And 
you know, I knew it was funny that you called him Officer Barb Brady, <laughs> but it had been so long since I'd actually watched it and seen the character. Now I think it's the funniest fucking thing, and he looks more like it every week. He's so bad. Alex Marvez has negative charisma on camera. At this point, this has to be a rib. He's friends with Tony. Well, Maybe Tony's fucking with him. But I was going to say, would you do that to your friend? Would you hold your friend up to ridicule and embarrassment on national television over and over again? It, it's This is not an opinion. And we've said Alex Marvez, wonderful sports writer and probably a nice human being. And I've spoken to him in the past, never had a problem with him. But it's not up for debate that he is not only not a good television personality, it's distractingly bad. The the stagey way that he memorizes and recites the verbiage, every word, including like the and and, sound phony coming from his mouth. And it's his stilted mannerisms and nothing about him is genuine on camera. And it's 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 funny, but funny in like a fucking low budget cable access way where you're not laughing. Oh, that guy's it's like this is fucking rotten. And he leads into every segment like that. This is not up for debate. Everybody's seen it. So then he's in the back introducing wrestling's premier pizza maker, Luigi Prima. And the fucking guy that we that we were talking about a couple weeks ago that somebody tweeted video of him in a barn somewhere at an outlaw show in the ring spinning pizza. He's like five foot three and a hundred pounds, and he's got a mustache and he's in his thirties or whatever, and he spins pizza. That's his fucking gimmick. And somehow or another. They thought, well, we just have to have this guy on our television program because somebody last week accidentally took us seriously and was almost ready to spend some money on our product. So they bring this guy in to wherever the, where were they this week in the United States? What uh, town? Albany. Okay, obviously, this guy doesn't live in Mississippi. Man, he probably drove. If you get a pizza-making wrestler, chances are he's from the Northeast. And they bring him in, and he goes, and he's spinning a pizza, and he goes, yes, I'm a Luigi Prima. And then suddenly a foot comes in off camera and super kicks him and knocks him out, and he takes a fake bump, and it's the other page. Who has just been in the ring... <laughs> being put over by the guy that's supposed to be a serious manager that's putting together a group of guys to elevate them that is going to be affiliated with MJF, who is the fucking top heel in the company. And 15 minutes later, after trying to restart Paige because he's been a massive failure and nobody gives a shit whether he drops dead or bursts into flames, 15 minutes later, he's walking into a backstage comedy sketch with pretend wrestlers that don't even work there. I saw somebody saying, well, Tony Khan must have a bunch of money to have signed the pizza-making wrestler. No, even Tony, they didn't sign him to a contract. Imbeciles, they brought him in as a joke because it's funny on Twitter to some people. So he's a joke, but not a full-time joke. 
but they bring Paige in to interact with this guy, knock him out. Of course, it killed the super kick because it looked phony. And then, as I said, great work. They're trying to refresh this guy, and he's doing comedy skits with pretend wrestlers. After he knocks out the pizza maker, in comes Danhausen, and they are actually wrestling each other on Friday, Danhausen and the other page. So backstage interaction is bad enough. Now they're putting fucking Paige in there. Even if I like this guy, if I, I would really be pissed. But even though I don't like him, I'm still sympathetic to the fact that he got a 15-minute push as we were supposed to be impressed that he was a top guy before they took him back down to the fucking toilet bowl and let him swim with the nuggets. So he's a joke. Now he's a joke wrestler in a top group or alleged top group or a group that affiliates themselves with the top heel. Why would you do this? 15 minutes after you're trying to make people care about this fucking guy as being something. And you book him against Danhausen and to kick a fucking pizza twirler? Did you see the, the worst part about the kick was they filmed the leg slap. Yes. All you see is the leg come in and the you hand You see a leg the come in and a big leg slap. Yeah. <laughs> you know, this Luigi Primo guy, give him a lot of credit. He's a genius. He figured out how easy it is to get on AEW TV. Go to some indie show, come up with some wacky, stupid gimmick, get people to take it and put it on Twitter and put it on TikTok and everywhere else, and then Tony will try to bring you in for at least once. And if you win him over, maybe you'll come back again. So it's obvious that the melee deal going on has made... The AEW fans who are the buckaroos, who care more about the company than anybody else, are rallying the, the troops and they're trying to circle the wagons and defend the company in this time of need because they, they'd rather, the buckaroo fans out there, they'd rather see AEW than see their wife and kids and, well, they don't have a wife or kids, and their dog. But everybody who wanted them to turn this into a wrestling show, they're going to have to basically be car carrying that segment of the population with MJF, Danielson, and Moxley because they have hamstrung almost everybody else in this company with rotten booking so that nobody cares about anybody except for, as I said, the AEW faithful, that if, if you say... Howie the Mailroom guy is all elite. They're going to be buying fucking ticket packages for Howie the Mailroom guy's first fucking autograph session. That's how bad they want the, the buckaroo fans want this company to go. But the other ones have already been a little testy because we were promised sports-based wrestling and an adult alternative to the WWE and what we've got is fucking child's play. So now they're down to, can you think of anybody else that, FTR could hold adult wrestling fans, but they've been booked like shit. It's down to Moxley, MJF, and Danielson, isn't it? Jericho. Whatever we say about Jericho, eh, Jericho. Don't, don't take Jericho, eh, Jericho out of that. I, I'm sorry. I did not mean to do that. 
So they showed a VTR at a racetrack somewhere of Darby Allen jumping a tricycle over something. It's just fucking... You know, the thing is, if he was everywhere jumping all this shit like Evil Knievel over the fucking Snake River Canyon and he was making a fortune, I would think this fucking guy's going to retire by the time he's fucking 28 and he's got the world by the dick. He's doing all this shit for free, ain't he? Risking his fucking neck. Every time he goes and jumps something over something, whether it's a bus over his house or a tricycle over the moon or whatever, he's doing it for the fun of it. Absolutely free. I guarantee you, I've not seen evidence or report of one penny changing hands. And if that's the case, then Darby, you're a fucking moron. And that Tony Khan has six figures a year in you and has not told you to sit the fuck at home if you don't want to go to wrestling school and learn your craft instead of jumping over shit. Bill Watts would slap Darby Allen in an affectionate but stern parental manner. Five or six times, maybe. And he might learn something. But then Matt Hardy applauded Darby for jumping the tricycle over the fucking moon and how extreme he is and has challenged Darby for Rampage. So now, on Friday night, maybe that's how they're trying to make people watch this, they've got another chance to kill Matt Hardy or at least give him some more brain damage. Who wants to see Matt Hardy at this point in time? All right, here another here rev- another revamp of Matt Hardy. Enough already. Oh yeah, wait, he's ta- he's talking he's talking normal again. He's talking like his normal self again. He doesn't have the the Vincent Price Beatrice Arthur offspring outfit on, or the Bride of Frankenstein streak in his hair, and he's not going delete delete and transporting himself everywhere and changing clothes in an ice machine. He just wants to wrestle a guy that's going to give him brain damage because the guy's not smart enough to take care of his own self. But then, I mentioned, Brian, they're trying, and they are. Powerhouse Hobbs gets a match and a promo on the same show. And even better, it's a match against a job guy, so he gets to win. If only... And I know we got to be thankful for small favors, and I'm not trying to bite the hand that feeds us. If only they'd have done this at the start of his career, instead of after we've been watching him for a year and a half. But nevertheless, Matt DiMartino was the job guy. The job guy could have looked better. Again, I'll be thankful for small favors. But, you know, there is such a thing as wrestlers that have been out on the independents for four or five years that have some experience and a tan and don't look like they're 12 years old and scared to death. And you could probably for enough money, get one of them to come and do a job on your television instead of this can't even be QT's wrestling school anymore. Can it? They're just random people walking up. Well, they're in Albany, New York. I got to assume it's someone from upstate New York. I used to have a list of every goddamn qualified, competent, independent wrestler in various regions that could drive no more than four hours and get to all the WWE TV tapings. They all had gimmicks. They all had experience. They all had gear. They all had, mostly had tans. 
And it wasn't, I know you've seen a lot of WWE rotten looking jobbers back in the nineties, but not while I was in charge of the, the extras as they called them. Anyway, Hobbs, boom, spine buster over one, two, three and 30 seconds. Like I said, they're trying. And then he takes a promo. Somehow he busted his own lip open, probably on the spine buster, but he's bleeding from the mouth. But that's okay, because it made him look even more vicious. He does a short promo about Starks. It was okay, but brief. And he's, he just needs practice and repetition. No reason to go out there and go five hours. But here comes Starks down the stairs from the from the cheap seats into the arena and the people are coming up because here Starks is coming down. We're going to have a confrontation. Oh shit. And Hobbs is standing his ground. And this is great, except for again, one detail. And I'm not trying to, I'm trying to give credit where credit's due. They gave Hobbs a win in decisive fashion. They gave him a promo. Starks looks like a baby face that he's not going to back down. He's going to come down. He's going to instigate the fight. Hobbs is a big badass. He's not going to back up. Starks ducks past, does a head fake past security at ringside and dives in the ring and they get in a brief fight, but Starks pickles him once, twice, maybe three times, grabs the microphone that was dropped, hits fucking Hobbs in the head with the microphone. Hobbs takes a bump through the ropes to the floor, but lands on his feet there. And it was a nice little fucking bump that a big guy takes through the ropes that still doesn't knock him out, and he doesn't oversell it. And then they both stood there. Because here was the one thing, and again, if, if AEW has any producers at this point that weren't still suspended or whatever, or anybody with any goddamn common sense, this was a perfect deal up until the time that Hobbs took the bump through the ropes. Starks coming down the stairs from general admission and to ringside 20 seconds before that, there had been security lined up to prevent him from coming into the ring, and he did the head fake to the side and then slid in. When Hobbs took the bump out on the floor and landed on his feet, Six or seven security guys, a couple of referees should have been there, boom, like that. Put bodies in between Hobbs and the ring so he doesn't have to climb back up on the apron and get back into it with Starks because you want the fight to be over, but you got to give Hobbs a graceful exit, a way out. And then you've also, you can't make Starks looked like a pussy either. He's nailed the guy out on the floor, but the guy's still on his fucking feet. And this is the same guy that betrayed Starks and stabbed him in the back and clotheslined him from behind in his bad neck. So why would Starks stop the attack just because Hobbs took a bump to the floor when he's still on his feet? No invisible wall raised up to separate them. So that's why you throw the bodies in the middle. Now you've got a visual barrier. It's not only a lot more action with everybody waving their arms and going, stop, stop. But now Starks has people in his way of getting to Hobbs. And Hobbs has people in his way of trying to get back up on the apron to get back in the ring. And he also knows that if he was to do that with all those people hanging off of him, he would open himself up to Starks coming over and kicking him right in the face. 
So that's the way you separate the fucking fight. And then the announcers can sell how bad these guys want to get a hold of each other. And if all those people weren't in the way, they'd be ripping each other limb from limb. It's just a little tweak, but it goes a long way. Instead of Hobbs standing on the floor, Stark standing in the ring, they play the music, and the announcers just say, well, we'll be right back. Nothing's going to happen here. Why didn't Hobbs go back and try to kick Starks' ass? Why didn't Starks continue the fight? Very simple five-second solution. Nobody thought of it. What do you think, Brian? I think that's why it happened. There was no one there who had the knowledge to think of it, to tell them to do it. This is not advanced calculus to think of something like that. This is anybody with fucking six months' experience in a wrestling business. A lot of things happen in a different way in AEW. Again, Stokely did three weeks' worth of promos in one night tonight, as you said earlier. All right. I'm just happy Ricky Starks is still in this, I guess, in this feud, is still wrestling, because after the way they treated him at the pay-per-view, I thought he was hurt again. Well, it it was abrupt and out of nowhere at the pay-per-view. Speaking of abrupt and out of nowhere, the AEW Tag Team Championship was on the line Next, with Keith Lee and Swerve defending against the Lucha Brothers. And I'm sure that this match set all kinds of standards of ridiculous synchronized swimming routines and blah, blah, blah. But I was running late at this point, so I skipped to the finish. Because I know what I was going to see, which was going to be preposterosity. How much preposterosity did I miss? I mean, the usual Lucha Brothers preposterosity. Preposterosity, I guess is the word. Preposterosity. Uh, But finally, Keith Lee and Swerve win. The acclaimed come out. I'm ready for a rap, and Max again says, cut our music. I'm like, Newman, what the fuck? How many weeks is he going to have to go without rapping before people are going to accept a rap without referring to the Melee or the EVPs or Punk? Yeah, and plus the rap back, the first rap he does on the air, it has to be good if it's not. You know, you don't want to come back with a record that's not a hit. There's got to be a way to refer to it without, for those who know, they'll know. For those who don't know, they won't think anything's wrong and it won't harm any investigatory practices. But he's got to say something. You give him the AEW treatment. He's about to say something and all of a sudden a chair comes out of nowhere and hits him in the head. (laughs) (laughs) Who threw that chair? Who's biting him? Who threw that chair? It's the man over there. Oh, God. Anyway, but they they do the promo where they tell old Swerve that, first of all, Max tells Swerve if he ever interrupts his rap again, he's going to kick his ass, and next week they're going to be tag team champions at New York at Arthur Ashe. They better be tag team champions next week, or in New York, somebody will hit the ring. They'll, they'll have had all they no. can stand. They can't stand no more. Those unsavory people, they'll, they'll punch you in the face just for walking in front of them on the subway up in New York. If those people don't get an acclaimed win, they're going to riot. They're going to take all the tennis balls out of Arthur Ashe Stadium and shove them down Tony's ass. Or up Tony's ass. Down his throat. Down his ass. Which, really? whichever, whichever, well, actually, Tony's usually upside down really? on things. <laughs> so normally you'd have to... Well, he's upside down and backwards on most everything that we talk about on the wrestling program, so I guess you'd have to shove things down his ass. 
or up his throat. If these are the problems Tony's having, maybe he needs a friend with a tennis racket if people are shoving tennis balls all down his ass. Well, there you go. I'll, I'll meet him from the other direction and knock him back out. I think they could do two things. I mean, obviously the one that we're all thinking, because it kind of was the issue coming out of Chicago. Remember the question at the press scrum about the Audible? Fans were talking about it. Fans now know what Audibles are in wrestling. A lot of people thought it should have been done there. If you do it in New York, hometown, get a big pop. It's what people are kind of expecting. Although, if you kind of wanted to go further with Keith Lee and swerve his heels, and I would be open to that, that's when you have them not lose the belts there and do something that's just overtly heelish, finally. I don't know if people want to see Keith Lee and Swerve as heels or whether they just want to see the acclaimed be champions because they like them. And there's so little to that you are allowed to like on this program before somebody fucks it up. So maybe they should just make the tag team that people like. the cha- And since they had the opportunity to do that with FTR, they didn't. Well, now they have another tag team the fans actually like. So let's do that. Um, did you see the, Bar Brady's next knockout? Now think about this. I don't recall. Think about this. He was literally not even an hour beforehand in this program. He introduced a wrestler. The wrestler said a couple of words and somebody off camera fucking hit a phony fucking super kick and there you go, the guy's knocked out, right? 45 minutes later, there's Officer Bar Brady with Pac in the back and he does an interview about him and his his boys being the six-man champions and whatever the fuck and he's going to be the Pacific Coast champion or whatever they call that fucking belt they gave him. And suddenly... All Atlantic, the opposite of the Pacific. All Atlantic, Pacific Coast, All Atlantic, whatever. And suddenly an arm comes into the picture and knocks out fucking pack and it's the mascot pockets pack and i'm i know he's a shits as a wrestler we've talked about this endlessly he can't get up on that top rope and jump off for less than 30 seconds and he does shit that doesn't make any sense all the time but goddamn he's jacked he looks like a badass he's built like crazy that physique and the straggly hair and the mean look, if he could only work, he'd be a money machine. This anorexic, emaciated medical school skeleton, Orange fucking Cassidy, puts his goddamn buggy whip arm in the frame, the bicep looks like a mosquito bite on a strand of spaghetti, and knocks out Pack with one punch, and not only that, he goes down and stays there while Pockets speaks over, I would say cutting a promo, but he was just speaking like this, over the top of him about their match on Friday that nobody's going to watch, because it's a garbage program with shitty matches like this. And this is Tony's solution. Eat up time on the program that people are still watching because that's where all the stars are, and that's where all the good matches take place. Promoting the Friday show with all-star matches like Pockets versus Pack and fucking Danhausen versus the other page. And in the process, let's get more substandard, 
embarrassing or visually fucking unresplendent talent on this program to make us all look stupid. So there you go. It was nice knowing you, Pac. How did how much they got to pay that guy to go down and stay there from one punch from that fucking clown? The normal rate. He apparently has no pride. Uh, then we saw Britt Baker and Serena Deeb against Tony Storm and Athena. Serena is a great wrestler and nobody cares because of her booking and you see her and then you don't. Tony Storm looks great and she could be a star in the future, but she's still green and obviously booking will not support her here. Britt Baker's kind of stale and hadn't done anything new or of note in a little while. And I don't fucking get Athena whatsoever, except her low center of gravity reminds me of little darling Dagmar, and I bet she'd be hard to slam. Otherwise, she looks stiff and or awkward, and I don't get it. And this went a long time. And the heels won. And then the heels got more heat on the baby faces. And then Jamie Hayter, the heel that wasn't down there, ran out like she was going to save the baby faces because she's mad at Britt Baker. But then she grabbed a chair and hit the baby faces with the chair too. So the baby faces got beat and then beat up and then beat up more by the fucking person we thought was coming to save them. Uh, what were your thoughts on this? It went a while and that was a problem because it killed the room. Now, again, AEW fans and a lot of the recent shows have been silent for a lot of the stuff, even the guys that they're into, but it's been really noticeable with the women's matches. No one was reacting. They were just sitting there. It was so quiet. It's almost awkward when you know it's quiet when all of a sudden Excalibur can't yell <laughs> and he knows it. And all of a sudden he just starts talking like this. Tony, what do you think? Because he can't yell because it would be too loud. It would sound ridiculous. Hater, they got something. She's actually one who is, I've been raving about her to you for a while, that she could yeah. work. She has size. She could bump. The fans are starting to get into her. So what are we going to do? Let's not turn her. Let's, let's just keep following <laughs> this. You said it about Britt Baker, and I said it a few months back. I thought she was going to get overexposed and people were going to get tired of her. I don't know if it's that, but I think people are tired of her right now. They got to do something different. And finally, it was time for the main event, the other semifinal AEW World Heavyweight Championship Tournament match to determine who was going to meet Moxley next week in New York, and it was Danielson and Jericho. And we're, we're going to talk about the ratings in a minute, but I don't think it's any surprise to anybody that this week when they actually had a main event involving two legitimate stars, they kept their viewers. They had advertised it from the start. It wasn't, people knew they weren't going to see Wheeler Yuta versus Daniel Garcia. That's why 350,000 of them didn't say, fuck it, I'm going to go wash my hair. It was, okay, this is the match we're waiting on. And so they stuck with it. And again, you know, Danielson has that magic. The people like him genuinely. He's like Cactus, like Mick Foley. They like him as a person. And plus, he's a tremendous talent. So he's got interest. And Jericho here, and there were things, but Jericho, honestly, it looks to me like he stepped up knowing that 
people were going to be seeing this, and this is important. It's a crucial time in the company. Here's the thing. Danielson, I can believe that if Tony Khan went to Danielson and said, you know, we've lost all this talent. Guys are hurt. The team is in need. Brian, you got to step up, you know, overperform. Yeah, Brian Danielson's that kind of guy. And Moxley, even if he has garbage taste in wrestling and likes garbage wrestlers and doesn't know how to have a match and has to be run over by an 18-wheeler to fucking sell and stay down, still, if Tony Khan went to him, that'd be what he would want to hear. Mox, you got to help save the day. The team is in need. He'd be all over that. I will eat their blood. I'll eat their blood and drink their bones. Jericho, if Tony went to him and said, Chris, the team is in need. The company is in need. You got to step up. I see him doing exactly this. He had a good match, and you can't not have a good match with Brian Danielson, but he had a good match where most of the time he got the shit kicked out of him and in the end tapped out clean in the middle. And with Chris, I can think that when Tony went to him and said, hey, Chris, the team is in need. You got to step up. I can think that he smiled at Tony and he said, absolutely, boss. Because, Brian, you know the old saying, don't you? Smiling faces sometimes pretend to be your friend. Smiling faces show no traces of the evil that lurks within. Can you dig it? Smiling faces sometimes they don't tell the truth. Smiling faces, smiling faces tell lies and I got proof. See where I think you got it wrong? Tony doesn't go to Chris and say, I need you to step it up. Let's do something. Chris goes to Tony and says, I'm going to step it up and we all need to step it up together and do something to help you. That's the difference. Well, there you go. But the point is, at some point, Jericho is going to go back. Hey, Tony, remember when the team was in need and I put Danielson over and tapped out in the middle of the ring and blah, blah, blah. The, the actions may be similar with some of these guys, but motivations may be different. Let's just say that. But nevertheless, for the main event, Danielson started off just beating a shit out of Jericho and kicked and chopped and bashed him from pillar to post. And then Jericho took over, got some heat. Danielson started making a comeback. They, they go back and forth a bit. Again, I know that you hate this as maybe almost bad or as bad as I do. The chop trade. They were laying them in, and both guys' chops looked better than Moxley's, but still for and I could even give them a pass here because. For the AEW audience, for whatever reason, they like that shit, even though they see it constantly in every fucking match. Um, I, can't, you I can't forgive that shit. It's terrible, and it's stupid. I don't care if those people there like it. The people at home are wondering, why are these two guys feeding <laughs> each other their chests so they could just hit each other? As hard as possible on down. purpose, it's, without trying to block it. It's so stupid, and I don't even blame Jericho for that. This, is, unfortunately, is one of those things I think Danielson likes. He's like Johnny Valentine. He gets off on the fucking physicality of it. And too many matches are doing the breaks where the guys just go back and forth, especially with these chops. 
It's at this point, it's stupid because no one even believes what you're doing. But now you've slandered Johnny Valentine there. Valentine and Wahoo or Valentine and anybody. They didn't stand there and say, okay, here, hit me now and wait for it. And then, uh, and then do the same thing. They were trading blows, hard meat, fucking splitting blows with each other. But it, you got the impression from them that if, if they could stop the other one from hitting them back, they would do that like a normal fucking person. But anyway, the I liked one thing. Jericho gave Danielson a vertical suplex from the apron inside the ring to the outside of the floor, but didn't take the bump with him. He let him go, and Danielson went over and landed on his feet, but sold his ankle. So that was kind of a way of doing one of these modern spots without actually being stupid about it. And then Jericho goes to work on the ankle, because Danielson is smart like that. And he sets up things that the heel can work on for him. And the figure four round of post, Danielson fought back one-legged. Jericho gets the walls. The people were into this. At least they gave them something at the end of the show that they were into and wanted to see. And it was actually, although this may be faint praise, better than any WWE match this week, but it had WWE guys in it. So I don't know, maybe the, <laughs> this was a main event for WWE television in 2000 and fucking 11 or whatever, but they just got it here. And finally, Danielson fought to get the LaBelle lock and did, and Jericho had to tap. It, it Besides the chop exchange, which some modern wrestling tropes have to creep into all this shit, but besides that, this was one of the better Jericho matches in AEW and one of the better AEW matches because at least we had name talent that wasn't doing, you know, tumbling routines with obvious cooperation involved. And we got the final that we needed to see, which is Danielson and Moxley, which is probably right now the biggest match that they can make on their roster for their title to put it on somebody that people will take as a world champion. So that go ahead and tear down Jericho's participation in this. If you like, No, I don't think Jericho did anything wrong. I just wasn't crazy about this match. I haven't been crazy about any of the Danielson matches in a while. I don't like the way he's working right now. It's just not for me. And the chop exchange is a good example of it. I thought the finish was good. When he was the technical wrestling heel, it was much better, but we, we can't hold out hope to actually fully like anything on this program, so I have to grade on a curve. I apologize. Yeah, so I mean, I'm not taking anything away from Jericho for anything here. I'm just saying I wasn't that into it. I don't think it was one of the best matches on their show in a while, and I don't even think it was one of the better Jericho. I shouldn't say that. It wasn't the best Jericho match, because uh, there, there was something else we liked, and I can't remember what it was. <laughs> but it was all We should start writing those down. But I guess the big thing is just what it sets up, which is Moxley versus Danielson. Blackpool Combat Club members against each other next week on AEW Grand Slam for the title. And then the question is, can we just get everybody out of this Blackpool Combat Club? And it I mean, obviously, if Moxley's going to be the champion and he needs to be a babyface because people like him, 
Danielson, I would take as the heel champion. I, I actually don't want to see him as a babyface world champion. I think he's much more interesting as a heel. And goddamn it, Lee, you know, poor William Regal should be the goddamn commissioner, general manager, authority figure, whatever they want to call it. Someone to impart messages from the promotion without Tony Khan having to do it. Because Tony Khan's worse on television than than Marvez is. I mean, let's be honest and just face facts. And they have nobody else that can consistently go out and impart the rulings or the matches that are made or the reasons for a suspension in storyline, as the kids say, or whatever. And Regal did that in NXT for fucking years. And he's well-spoken. And I don't know, I don't know how you're getting your money out of William Regal doing color commentary on matches of two or three guys that are in his group when he could actually be the, not only on camera, but he could be a resource behind the scenes. Why wasn't he uh, uh, promoted to some talent relations position or at least a, a position where somebody could ask him questions? Hey. William Regal, how do I put on a headlock? I'm lost. Or whatever. So we'll we'll see. But the final part of this <laughs> got me to trending again. I was again blissfully asleep in my own home. Apparently after the well not apparently, we saw it. After the match was over, here comes Moxley down to the ring. So we have the stare down with Daniel Bryan and John Moxley, the two members, as you said, of the Blackpool Combat Club. And the guy in the front row that had had this sign in other places, it had been seen earlier in the night. He's got a shirt on over the top of my cornet face shirt, which is apparently a, a fashion statement now to wear at wrestling. So they are available at jimcornet.com. But he held his sign up right in the perfect place at the perfect time, and the show goes off the air with Danielson on one side, Moxley on the other side, and a sign in the middle that says, CM Punk owns the Young Bucks. <laughs> Amazing. And boom. And I mean, it was perfect placement. And now I'm seeing, oh my God, the the little buckaroos on the internet are just, harassing this guy out the ass because he observed freedom of speech. There was no profanity on the sign. Actually, it inv it didn't involve any out-of-company talent. It was all about AEW guys and their interaction, and it was his opinion. So in a free country, I would take task to him, even if he was wearing my shirt, if he had had a sign that said, Harpo McFinger bang fucks dogs. You shouldn't have that sign on TV. You should have it out in the parking lot where people can see it and get the information, but not be subject to a fine from the Federal Communications Commission. I think it's hard for a lot of people to understand that there are people who would buy a ticket to wrestling and wear a Jim Cornette t-shirt because they're fans of Jim Cornette and still be fans of AEW. There are people who listen to you and either don't agree with everything you say or can still like the things they like despite what you say, but they can still be fans of yours. The idea that you have yeah. to choose. You know, how dare a Jim Cornette fan be there and ruin our fun? What is that? 
Shut up. Well, and also, it, again, it's a free country, and if if that Jim Cornette fan is also a wrestling fan and he wants to go on the theory that some wrestling might at some point break out, well, then, if he's that optimistic, then I think we should honor him for being a, you know, a, a, a good-thinking kind of person. He's, he's saying, hey, I'm going to look at this like the glass is half full. Maybe there'll be some wrestling on this program. Rather than glass half empty, fuck it. It's going to be the shits. And this guy brought that sign, by the way. Great sign, brilliantly placed. I mean, it couldn't have been framed better at the end. It was stunning. Someone had to be getting yelled at in the back. But there's no <laughs> other shot they could cut they to. They had no other shot. And hey, I'll, I'll tell you a story real quick. But anyway, hey, if, whoever you are, Mr. Guy out there that had my face on your shirt and held up that sign, if you'll get in contact with us, we'll, we'll send you another shirt in case they made you take that one off or we'll send you something. We'll do something for you. That's right. Don't worry about the ninnies on the internet. Yeah. The ninnies contact Brian, the nattering nabobs of negativity, but I'll tell you about signs. And I told you this yesterday and you had forgotten about it. But you said it was such great sign placement, maybe the greatest ever. I said, I don't know about the greatest ever. Because in 1995, and it was right about this time of year, as I recall, I think it was hot weather. Old Eric Bischoff, our friend down in WCW, decided that they were going to run Freedom Hall in Johnson City, Tennessee, a building that I ran once a month and had been for three years at that point. And they were going to do a live Monday Nitro in Johnson City and Freedom Hall. And I was not happy that they were running my town. They got the whole country to pick from. They can go to Seattle. They can go to fucking Kansas. They can go to Florida. They got to come to Johnson City, Tennessee. So I wanted to make them feel welcome. So we heard about the show because... The manager of Freedom Hall told us, told Sandy Scott, hey, Sandy, you know, we got WCW coming in next month and we can't, you know, deny them a date. They'll sue us. But, you know, we apologize to you guys because Sandy had known the manager and the ticket people forever there and they were very nice people. So I asked Sandy, I said, uh, when did the tickets go on sale? And he said, oh, they didn't tell me. I said, check while we're here. He checked and said next week or whatever. I said, take out whatever a front row ticket was. I said, take out the money out of the settlement tonight for eight front row tickets and purchase those. Okay. And and we knew the layout of Freedom Hall. We knew where they were going to have to put the hard camera. There's not a lot of ways you can shoot that thing. So I went across from hard camera, eight tickets, middle of the front row. None of them are on sale yet. So we did. So if anybody wants to look back at that program, I, like I said, I can't remember the date, but I'll give you a hint. Harlem Heat were in a world tag team title match, and they either won the belts or lost the belts. It was a world tag team title change. And right as they went into the finish, I don't know how this happened, but eight people on the front row across from hard camera suddenly picked up a 20 foot long banner <laughs> that said we want it raw and the only shot they had of their tag team title change had we want it raw blistered across the fucking video later on in the program or earlier i forget which and i'll tell you what this was a a nice sign 
I used excellent markers on this, the colored Sharpies, a nice big red Sharpie for the heart with the arrow through it. Took me a while to do this one. But it just so happened that during one of the bumps in and out, when they're searching for crowd shots and entertaining signs, you know, they're in Johnson City, so they saw a sign that said, J.C. loves, with a heart with an arrow through it, Eric Jerkoff. And son of a gun, they didn't bother to read through that whole sign before they got a close-up of it. <laughs> they thought Johnson City loved them some WCW, and that was on there for about three seconds, and they got down to, you could you could almost see them reading it in the truck. When they got to jerk off, they switched their shot. And now I didn't have, you know, paid stooges involved in this. They were all legitimate johnson city tennessee wrestling fans they were just sympathetic to the cause and there was mixed genders male and female regular looking wrestling fans there was one guy that was the enforcer of the situation that was uh he i gave him the permission to go to jail if he had to to get that jerk off sign on the air but everybody else was just fans in the front row minding their own business and Something popped up at a certain time. Things happen. I got edited off ECW TV with my sign when everyone hated Bubba Ray Dudley before he had turned heel, when he was just an unbearable babyface, and then he was being rude to every fan he met, and he was still a babyface, like a stuttering, dancing babyface, and then he's a dick to everyone. <laughs> so it bothered a lot of people, and I won't a name A stuttering, names. dancing dick. I won't name names, but several of the smarter of the ECW fans who were around and knew everything that was going on and Paul would feed stuff to, even they were fed up with Bubba Ray Dudley. So they encouraged us. I took my bed sheet from the hotel and in big red marker, I wrote, Bubba must die. <laughs> it's on a bed sheet. You can't get around that. I was sitting in the bleachers. So when Bubba Ray comes out to do his baby face thing, I hold up the Bubba must die. We have several other people in the crowd because everyone's into this sign guy the old ecw sign guy looks yeah up, gives me a thumbs up because bubba had been a dick to him like, everyone's happy about this except paul Heyman, who immediately sees that sign and orders the cameraman to cut as close as they can the sign's so big you lose bubba you lose must so you just get in giant red letters die, die! with an exclamation <laughs> point for the whole fucking angle and you get the zoom. You actually see the zoom on TV where they're like, zoom, zoom, and they zoom right in. Uh, but I so still think this one was good. This one, the placement of it, I wonder if the guy knew how perfect the timing and the placement was. Well, he was looking straight at the camera. He wasn't looking over at the screen. And I don't know if they feed program to the screen there, if they have just logos or whatever. I don't know. So... Maybe he was looking, or maybe it was just serendipitous. But uh, but that's the way they went off the air. But they had to be happy because they actually had a rating of people that that they kept through the program, right? What are what are the uh, the final numbers on this? I'm looking for the quarterly breakdowns. I don't have them in front of me right now. But for this week's show, AEW averaged one million one hundred and seventy-five thousand viewers. And that's an average. That's not what they see. I originally saw 1.2 million as they, well, they started out with that last week, but that was the average over the whole show. Not that they started with all the Big Bangs viewers and then lost 
35% or whatever, like they are 40%, like they did last week, but they actually kept enough of them to have an average of over a million people, which is what, the first time in a year? Uh, I have the uh, breakdowns here now, finally. I believe it's the first time since September of last year, so exactly one year. Quarter one, Moxley versus Sammy. And I believe this is from, let me give credit where it is due, I believe this is from Brandon Thurston of WrestleNomics posted this. John Moxley versus Sammy did 1,198,000 viewers. The end of that segment with MJF and Stokely's promo, 1,186,000 viewers, a drop of 12,000. The end of that promo, and then the Jungle Boy promo and match, was up 2,000 to 1,188,000 viewers. The final quarter of the first hour, which is the end of the Jungle Boy match, the hook video, Luigi's promo, <laughs> Ethan Page and Dan House's segment, Dan Housen, excuse me, segment, Darby Allen's video, Matt Hardy's promo, Powerhouse Hobbs' squash, Good Lord! and Ricky Starks attacking Hobbs, did 1,187,000 viewers, down 1,000. So that's the first hour. Hour two opened up with Death Triangle's promo, and then the tag title match. 1,210,000 viewers, up 23,000. At the top of the hour, they picked up, they actually, for the first time maybe ever, or certainly in a while, they picked up people at the top of the hour that had quit watching whatever they watched from eight to nine. Well, here's another part of the story. Quarter six, Tony Storm and Athena versus Britt Baker and Serena Deeb. 1,086,000 viewers. It lost 124,000 viewers. That's the big loser of the night. Yeah. Next segment, Mark Sterling promo, Danielson versus Jericho segment one. That did 1,156,000 viewers, so that was up 70,000. And then the final segment, which is the final part of the match, 1,188,000 viewers, up another 32,000. Pretty much right back where they started from for the first time in a long time. Because they had a main event, and the stuff was sprinkled through the show. I am gobsmacked. I would have turned off the show... Uh, for Luigi and Danhausen and all that job guy foolishness long before I would have turned it off for the girls match. So I'm amazed and they can, should consider themselves lucky that that wasn't a turnoff. But now that's, here's the thing. You've lost punk and you've lost the buckaroos and you've lost twinkle toes for the time being. But if you sprinkle your names Throughout the program from start to finish, not the ones you think are names because the goddamn, you know, the faithful think, oh, Daniel Garcia is the second coming of Jack Briscoe. Yeah, fuck you. Not the handful of people that Tony has got for a fan base that will take anything that he feeds them, but normal people that make the difference in these numbers. They want to see stars in main events, in the main event spot on the television show. Danielson, Jericho, Moxley, MJF. That's what, you know, and that's what's going to carry them until they get their suspended folks back if they do. And, and then, honestly, they ought to be contemplating that they're going to carry him besides Punk because what number has Twinkle Toes done? He came back and they lost 200,000 people when he hadn't been on the show for nine months. And the Bucks, it's the same thing every time. 
and it's insufferable and it's nothing new. And just, they're not doing numbers of a million people. There aren't a million people that are into that horse shit. That's why it's called indie wrestling. So they get Punk back. They got Punk. They got MJF. They got Moxley. They got Jericho. And they got Danielson. That it is proven that people will watch. And then all they have to do is put some younger, aspiring upcoming talent that people want to watch the Hobbses and the Starkses and the Wardlows and those types of people along with the guys that can work with anybody in any situation and win or lose like FTRs or lethals and they got something going on but he can't help himself from giving the wink and the nod to the fans of the childish bullshit that causes them to bring on the pizza guy and the fucking bank robber and the fucking, the other clown and the fucking cursor and all this other horse shit that nobody wants to see except the small group of people that will take anything that this elite pushes down their throat because they're so wound up over them. And if the comedy wrestling fans will take anything and you can't run them off. So you've already got them. What you're doing by feeding them to their worst instincts instead of their better angels is that you make the rest of your program look so stupid that normal wrestling fans don't want to watch it because it's a clown show. So that's... He's got numbers in front of him. He's a, a, a statistics guy. They watch stars in serious matches. They don't watch fucking rotten green wrestlers in clown shows. Yeah, the three things we've now seen the last several weeks that have driven away viewers are main events with guys who aren't ready for main events, the women's division, and the trios division. Yeah. Right, because those have been the main event spots. We saw what happened this week with Danielson and Jericho, who, again, two of the bigger stars in the company. But you would think Omega's a big star in the company, and the Young Bucks are big stars in the company. We know Garcia and Yuta are not ready, and I don't know why they did that to them last week. But the women's division, the trios division, and guys who aren't ready for the main events drive away viewers. Guys who are main eventers make people stay for the main event. That's amazing. I would have never thought of that. So anyway, before we wrap up the program today, I understand there is some element of breaking news, and we don't have a lot of details, but another interesting merger is being talked about in the business world that may have a very interesting effect on professional wrestling. Brian, would you care to read briefly what you imparted to me earlier? Well, Jim, I have an article here, and the headline has been going around. This is from comicbook.com by Timothy Adams. Warner Brothers Discovery and NBC Universal merger could happen in 2024, according to analysts. <laughs> that obviously would have a pretty significant <laughs> Tony, impact on wrestling. Tony, meet Paul. Paul, meet Tony. You guys are now partners. What the fuck? So who is going to eat who? Is NBC Universal the big dog in that merger or is warner brothers discovery the big dog in that merger here's a little bit from the article warner brothers discovery may appear to be in disarray from the outside looking in 
but a new report claims more upheaval may be on the way for the newly merged company. CEO David Zaslov is still searching for someone to fill DC films and TV after Dan Lin reportedly turned down the position. Whoever lands the position will be considered the studio's... Well, it's going into stuff you don't need to... Here we go. While Warner Brothers Discoveries continues to slash $50 billion in debt, analysts around Hollywood are speculating that the company could be setting itself up to be sold to NBC Universal. So in terms of a merger, they would be sold to NBC Universal. You would think that puts Comcast in charge. Oh, in that case, it's going to be... Hi, Paul. Welcome to the family. And here's Tony. He's going to be providing you with all your job guys. That's the difference between a merger and a sale. I mean, this, it sounds like, a, I mean, it says merger in the headline, but if they're saying to be sold to NBC Universal, that's a yeah. sale. That's a difference. And uh, I, I'm not even talking about uh, how it affects WWE and AEW. That could effectively changed the face of all of the wrestling business because it took us 20 years to get a competitor to Vince that was financed well enough. Unfortunately, he felt like he was a genius and could book the thing himself. That's what's going to be his downfall eventually. But this could hasten that because who are they going to pick if it's all one company? They're going to pick the the company that gives them international ratings around the world and this mega billion dollar publicly traded fucking conglomerate that's been around for 60 years are they going to pick tony khan and the adderall for lunch bunch over there that's been on the air for three years of the side that just got sold rather than the side that did the buying that could be a and and then is there going to be any other wrestling promotion ever again in the world that would be able to take Vince on, which is what I was worried about when I realized that Tony was going to fuck this up. It took us that long to get anybody with the connections and the money to finance the thing. They do it wrong and we're fucked completely forever. That's been my fear all along. And the first time I talked to Tony Khan on the phone, that's what I flashed in my head. He's going to book this himself and look who he's in business with. And this is our last chance. And now, even if it's, even if the product is is going to support itself, whatever company ends up on top of this thing may not support the product. And then you're back to a monopoly, and with everybody else so far away, they're not even in the same race. So then Tony has to buy WWE. <laughs> Good luck with Tony jousting with goddamn Disney and whoever else is in, uh, by the time Nick Khan gets finished, It'd be whoever easier else for is Tony. in that bidding war. It would be easier for Tony. He doesn't have to worry about shareholders. Disney does. For Disney to purchase that, there's, there's a whole lot that goes into it. Tony Khan just, you know, has family cash. You think that old man Khan, what's his name? Shaq? Shaq Khan. It's not Shaq. It's... <laughs> What? It's not Shaq. It's not Shaq. Whatever. Shed Con. Shed Shaq. Whatever he's living in. You think he's going to say, here, Tony, here's $5 billion by the WWE. I'm not saying that's the way it would happen, but I'm saying if they wanted it to happen, they could do that without putting up all their own money. I mean, that's the way finance works. 
They could certainly get someone to finance that deal. Absolutely they could. I'm not saying it would be the right thing to do, and I'm not saying I want Tony <laughs> Khan running WWE, but it's not out of the question they could make it happen if they really wanted to. Uh, you could do it if you really want. You could make well, it if you really try. Well, whatever. Jimmy Whatever Cliff. the case. You can do it if you really want, or you can make it if you really try, or you can buy it if you really pay. We'll see. That's not going to happen by next week, though. That's just that's out in the future. That's being bandied about. You looking forward to the Grand Slam? Oh, I thought you meant my tennis game. Uh, if the acclaimed win the belts, I want to see the pop. And uh, I've got no dog in the fight between Moxley and Danielson because it should be Moxley for business. But then we got to watch more Moxley matches. So I'm ambivalent there. Uh, we'll see what happens. Maybe they'll surprise us. Now, MJF will be close to home. That could be a very interesting uh, reaction. Although, remember, and I think he will get a positive reaction because of where, but it is Queens, technically not Long Island. Ah, you got that. Well, there you go. They got that going for him. But nevertheless, I mean, the people are going to... And here's the thing. Some people are saying, well, people are cheering MJF now. Well, of course they are. Because, goddamn, at least he's something fun to look at. They've been starved for the sight of a real talent for a while. But as soon as he gets back in his the swing of things, I think that worm will turn. But um, but it's it's good when he's in New York and the people cheer him because it's like the Bret Hart, Canada, Bizarro world, blah, blah, blah. And everybody knows people in the New York metropolitan area are a bunch of fucking assholes. Hey, so fuck it you. fits for the rest fuck of the you. world. <laughs> fuck you. Hey, you're not in a metropolitan area. You're out in the woods with the bears. Yeah, you drive like Them shit. Bars. You don't know what you're talking about. You don't know pizza. You don't know anything about New York. Yeah, I know pizza. I'll 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 see you in Emo's Pizza and raise you some Provel cheese, motherfucker. Hey, before you, uh, I don't want that Provel. You can keep that for yourself, uh, yeah. sir. Sir, I'm going to end on a nice note here. But one more breaking news story as we're wrapping things up. Dave Meltzer's reporting. I have this from the uh, Wrestling Observer Newsletter website. Dave Meltzer reports that WWE is holding a press conference in Las Vegas this Saturday to announce the main event for its November 5th Crown Jewel pay-per-view in Saudi Arabia. Roman Reigns versus Logan Paul is planned to headline the pay-per-view. What are your thoughts on that? Well, why are they having the press conference at Las Vegas? The match is in Saudi Arabia. Well, they're not going to fly over there to do the press conference. Well, fuck, then they could do it from fucking Stanford, couldn't they? What, where'd Las Vegas come in? I, as far as the match, obviously, it. I can't imagine. I mean, maybe people have gone nuts. I can't imagine that would be a, a pay-per-view match that in the days of pay-per-view would have sold pay-per-views. It's not really... Even though we said Logan Paul did a great job, I don't think anybody's taking him seriously as the guy's going to beat Roman Reigns. I think they're going for the celebrity slash curiosity slash freak show aspect. And also because it's Saudi Arabia, they're going to make those people come at gunpoint anyway, don't they? And it like North Korea, they're going to draw regardless. It's a paid show. It's like a, it's like a souped up fair show. Only instead of ten grand, they're getting ten million. 
And so it doesn't matter whether you put a main event in, it's going to sell tickets or not. And they don't care about their premium live event on Peacock when it's at, what's that going to be? Two o'clock in the morning, Eastern time on a Thursday. Um, no, usually so, it's the middle of the day. Usually we get it right in the middle of the afternoon. Though. Well, what it, okay. On a Thursday, we, you know, still it's, so it's low risk. They're not, they're not using up a, a date of a big show that they'll really make money on domestically. They're, they're, it's Saudi Arabia. The money in the house is guaranteed. There's no pay-per-view sales to begin with. And whether people watch the premium live event, they don't give a fuck because they got $10 million from the fucking Saudi government or how many millions it is. So I can see that match making sense there because they can tell the Saudis, hey, this Logan Paul, look how many Twitter followers he's got. Look, he's a big celebrity in our country. We have him for limited dates. We're going to give you one of them. Yes, we're going to give you one of these dates that we, we're going to give you the sleeves off our vest. Aren't you happy? So I can, that's a perfect place to put it. Because if they did it in America, people would goddamn get hot because they'd say, where's our legitimate main event? So I don't have a problem with that. Otherwise, then I wouldn't go to fucking Saudi Arabia no matter who the fucking match was, but that's just me. Do you have a problem putting the belt on Logan Paul? Now I got a problem. <laughs> now I got a problem. I don't care. And I mean, it, it would kill his career too because then all the really dedicated fans would hate him for the rest of his life. Because even though he's an athlete and he did well, he's had, what, two matches? And now he's going to fucking... You know, it would be the word. No, that would be insane. And the fans would riot. But like they, they wouldn't be able to blame Shitstain like they did for the David Arquette thing, but it would be the same kind of reaction. It's just bullshit. So no, no. All right. And that's all the news uh, as of this moment happening in the world of wrestling. Well, and also one more thing. Fozzie has had to delay their tour again because Chris's vocal cords are still bruised and he cannot sing. Which basically a, means Tony needs him, so he can't go. Well, yeah, well, also, as opposed to before his vocal cords were bruised, when he still couldn't sing, <laughs> but now he's got x-rays to prove it. So tickets are going to be honored for some rescheduled dates, but there's some conflicts with others, and you might have to get a refund. That's the newest. There will be no refunds offered on Jericho's wrestling matches, though, no matter how hard you try. It'd be a good gimmick for him for his promos and everything. If all of a sudden he's hoarse and he can't speak and he can't sing and it frustrates him and then the fans start laughing at him. So you're saying he should take Aubrey Edwards' gimmick and be hoarse. That's not the type of horse I was talking about. It's not the it's not the type of horse. That's not the usage of the word horse <laughs> I was speaking about. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to insult Aubrey Clydesdale. Anyway. <laughs> Are are you done here, Brian, for the for today for this program? I think so. If there's any big breaking news, we will hit you up on YouTube. But otherwise, we're going to leave Mr. Cornette alone for his birthday weekend and be back next week for the drive-through. Remember, JimCornette.com at noon on Saturday, September seventeenth. Well, that's already gone by by the time you hear this. So just jump on as soon as you can and buy me a birthday present and get a free action figure out of it. It's going to be amazing. Otherwise, we'll be back on the drive-through. This coming week with even more exciting conversation and, and hilarity and hijinks. Until then, for Brian and the entire Arcadian Vanguard Wrestling News extended family, 
except for that one red-headed stepchild that we don't talk about. Thank you. Fuck you. Bye-bye, everybody. Wednesday nights I get to stay up late Which Kenny Omega while I masturbate Hey mom, I need to watch the show Meltzer says I'm in the key demo Meltzer says I'm in the key demo My mom's basement. I still her Wi-Fi, not We've got indie stars drop back from wrestling school. Like Joe Janela at the top of the car. He trained himself in his own backyard. And this is shit everyone should get. Well, everyone. Except Jim Cornette Wednesday nights I get to stay up late Which Kenny Omega while I masturbate Who needs women for hanging round in bars When you can watch the Bucks get seven stars When you can watch the Bucks turn seven stars Dynamite's Ever tag team division, haven't you heard? We've got Jericho, Orange Cassidy, and Michael Rio. Like Tony, I get fantasy booking. A title tournament, now we're cooking. And I can wait to hear what Cody has to say when Marco's stunt goes all the way. Watch Kenny Omega while I masturbate Hey mom, don't come in Go away, I'm watching wrestling Go away, I'm watching wrestling oh, This is wrestling heaven Don't listen to Cordy, he hasn't been relevant since 87 He thinks that Luchasaurus can't work a lick or that Bobby Eaton could hold a candle to either Matt or him. He wants to cut up our heroes with a rusty fishing knife, or get them in the hot tub to play spot the submarine with him and his wife. And no, Mom, I'm not bitter. This has nothing to do with Jim blocking me on Twitter. And now, here comes Miro. Wearing pajamas like me, he's my hero. The young bucks could shoot on bus Sawyer Make Brock Lesnar take a Canadian destroyer Don't come in, Mom! Don't come in! Are you touching yourself again? No. Change the Wi-Fi password. Oh, no! Wednesday nights I get to stay up late Watch Kenny Omega while I masturbate Elser says I'm in the key demo I am 39, I'm in the key demo I'm a single